What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. I find Bill Clinton's book titled My Life pretty interesting. Like so many Masons, they speak in code. The very first page of his book, he talks about how he was born in Hope, Arkansas, which just so happens to be in the 33rd parallel. And he mentions how he was born 33 miles from the Texas border. You know, this is ridiculous how these people speak in code and the sheep don't get it. And the most interesting part of the book is page 156, where he talks about the Apollo 11 mission and how he saw it on TV and how it was real. And his carpenter disagreed saying those television people, they can fake events. Then Bill Clinton mentions during his eight-year term as president, he saw things on TV that weren't real. And you have to look at that time frame when he was president from 1993 to 2001. This one in 1996 at the Olympic Village, the Olympic Park in Atlanta, Georgia, and this was nothing more than a Boston Marathon-style hoax before Boston. Now, take a look at all these people. No blood anywhere. But I see blood on one person and one person only. And, and four unconfirmed fatalities. It's the cop. Look at his hand. That it was a pipe bomb on his left, on the top of his left on, hand, you see that actor's blood, that studio Hollywood blood. And he's applying it to all these crisis actors. This is, <laughs> this is literally busted red-handed. This is completely ridiculous. And wow, you know, before a lot of us were awake, you know, we were all caught up with our emotions. We watched it on TV and fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. But after being awake, I just find this pretty curious looking back and, and seeing all this 100% staged event. How many more are there? Unbelievable. And one more thing I want to point out about that cop with blood on the top of his left hand. Watch as he makes his way towards the back. And he has his eye on someone. And watch as he leaves. He takes off. And what do you see? You see a security guard with blood all over his face. But no wounds, just blood smeared on his face. Again, just a complete staged event. Then look at the cop. Right after he applies the blood, 
he leaves the scene. To the people that come to my channel claiming people died and got hurt, let me explain this simply to you. The people that supposedly survived this bombing, they're the ones that should have blood on them. Not the police officer arriving at the scene. Do you understand? It should be the other way around where the survivors are bloody and the officer is free of injuries. I don't know how clear I can make it. But if you don't understand, then there's no help for you. Again, just a complete staged event, just like so many others. Judy Clark, who was a no-name attorney, 
I mean, a no-name attorney represented Ted Kaczynski, Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Unbelievable. She also represented the Atlanta Olympic bomber, Eric Rudolph. She also represented Jared Lofner in the Gabby Gifford trial, um, She or in the Gabby Gifford situation. She also represented Buford Furrow from the Aryan Nations. Uh, he was an Aryan Nations member at the Los Angeles Jewish Community Center, said he was bipolar, got him off the death penalty. And then in 2002, are you ready for this? She represented Zacharias Massawi. Now, most of these guys wow. are in the federal ADX Supermax prison, but can you believe that she was chosen to represent all these guys? And in every case here, each one of them got off the death penalty charge but were convicted for life. And nobody can see any of these people. They are all not allowed visitors. So what tells something tells me she has been picked for this position. You're probably going to see her on the Supreme Court. Anyways, you can find us, believe it or not, there's a YouTube channel called Russian uh, VID Vids, and uh, he does a great job, but you can see the video of them faking the Atlanta bombing. (laughs) Anyways, folks, this is a really special night for me, extremely special night for me. Uh, It's hard to believe that less than four years ago, I knew absolutely nothing about any of this stuff. In fact, I didn't even, the only time I ever used a computer <clears throat> was for work. <laughs> and then, of course, when I was in college and university. So, But uh, I have a couple of my uh, folks that have, two gentlemen in particular, uh, that have really influenced my life. And uh, we're going to have Dave McGowan on. Now, Dave, he's... Uh, Known as a researcher on the internet, he's done a lot of great research on many different topics, and he's written four books. The latest one is a Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. And then the one before that was a Program to Kill, The Politics of Serial uh, Murder. And uh, I'm hearing over and over and over again that these two particular books are an absolute must to be on your shelf. Um, and I also heard good things about the other ones. The other two uh, would be Derailing Democracy, The American, uh, excuse me, The America the Media Didn't Want You to See It. You see, yeah. I'm having a problem with seeing myself. So, <laughs> and then it's uh, the first one is understanding the F word, American fascism, and the uh, politics of illusion. And also, you can find a lot of uh, Dave's work on his uh, website page, uh, the Center of excuse me, the Center for an Informed America. Excuse me, try this again. I'm having a hard time reading it. I just discovered, folks, yesterday that I need bifocals. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, you know, the Center for an Informed American. America, it's not American, America. And anyways, he's got a lot of really great stuff in there. Um, I have read some of the stuff, especially uh, it seems to be a, <clears throat> a lot of us gravitate to uh, wagging, 
the moon doggy and uh so with that uh but before we get going and i actually talk to dave i would like to have uh, uh our other guest tonight which is keith hansen to talk about <clears throat> what's going on with uh think or be com and what they are doing to help keith's friend uh dave dave mcgowan and um a hero to many of us. So with that, Keith, you want to take over? Well, the webmaster, uh, Mishu, had put up a fundraiser for Dave. Uh, anybody who donates $10 or more, uh, it will just send that email receipt, so to speak, to uh, the website. And uh, there's a link there where you can send it. It's, um, it it's, it's being sent to Mishu. And what he'll do is he'll release... Uh, 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 several recordings that Dave and I have done over 10 years. It's over nine hours uh, of interviews, and um, and that'll be free. Um, you know, just something we could do as an incentive. But so if anybody feels so inclined, also help yourself um, to those uh, interviews that Dave and I have done for uh, uh, just about a decade. So uh, just go to thinkofbebeaten.com. Click on the tab that says Dave McGowan, and it's all explained there. Okay, so folks, if you can at all, by all means, please do so. We just thought we'd give something for uh, getting something for Dave. Awesome. Very cool. And with that, hello, Dave. Are you still there with us? I th- what, did he just drop off? I think he did drop off. <laughs> it's going it's, it's to be one of those things. I will have to call him back. Okay. All right. Or, or I tell you what, if you want to do that, I, I can sing like a song, or I can do like spoons or something like that. <laughs> Anyways, um, folks, I, I just I just sent the. Uh, well, the link I, I just that. got a, a notice um, from Mishu, so if you want to go ahead and call, I can give these instructions. With, is that okay? Hello. Hey, Dave, you dropped off. <laughs> I did. I know. I got dropped off, and I didn't know I'd have a number to call back in. So I've been uh, just waiting for you to. How long have you been back? Dropped? How long have you been dropped off? Do you know? Yeah, uh, I it started getting a little uh, connection started getting a little bad during the part where uh, I think it was Joyce Riley was talking to Alex Jones, Lady Gold, the attorney, and her uh, her rather illustrious list of past clients. I think she left one out actually. It was Buford Furo. Yeah. The guy who uh, allegedly shot up the uh, Jewish daycare center, uh, Gold also represented him. So she's got a uh, she's got a fairly substantial list of very high profile past clients that uh, were involved in uh, in these very high profile multi victim uh, events in recent years. So uh, I, I don't know what what exactly came after that. So that was uh, that was oh. when I lost you guys. Well, you missed, uh, for somehow I missed that you dropped off, but uh, during that course I introduced folks to your website and to the four books you've written, and then Keith Hansen uh, shared with folks about what's going on with thinkorbebeaten.com and how um, they're doing a fundraiser for you to kind of help you out. So, um, and uh, I don't know, Keith, you want to go over it again a little bit for Dave or... Well, just for Dave's edification, Dave, what um, our webmaster did was um, 
set up something where if, if uh, anybody gave a donation over $10, just send the receipt to uh, our uh, email. And you and I have done over nine hours of interviews over the last 10 years, and they'll be given uh, to uh, any of the uh, donors uh, for free. You know, just to say thanks for, uh, you know, helping you out. Oh, well, that's uh, very much appreciated. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I've, I've been overwhelmed by uh, uh, the outpouring of support from, uh, from my fans for the last few years. Very gratifying, a little humbling to, uh, to, to see just, just how many lives I've touched with my work, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of, it's one of the few silver lines whole thing is, uh, you know, realizing, uh, how many, how many friends and how many supporters I, I really have out there and how many people have, uh, you know, just really, uh, really feel like my, my, like my work has, has had a major influence on their life and, uh, um, and the financial support is, uh, certainly comes in handy, uh, right now with, uh, my current, uh, situation um since i'm not haven't been able to work for quite some time and i got a fairly substantial amount of medical bills piling up so um you know i've, I've always kind of been reluctant to uh to do fundraising drives um you know because I, I fully realize that that my fans don't tend to be like deep pocket kind of people There's not a lot of one percenters in my fan club you know <laughs> so uh you know most of my fans struggling themselves to survive in this world and make sense of the world, you know, so I, so I don't really feel good about, uh, you know, hitting them up. But um, unfortunately, uh, the reality of the situation is that uh, I can't really, uh, can't really afford to pass up, uh, you know, any donations that come my way these days. So they are definitely very much appreciated. And Keith, for your own uh, donation that you, sent in uh, yesterday. That was uh, also very much appreciated. No problem. Uh, look, you know, I tell you, I, I said this to you uh, many times before, uh, so you know I'm, you know, I'm just not um, greasing you, but <laughs> you had a rare quality, <laughs> and I, you can't try to do it. I mean, you can't learn it. Uh, you, you did some nice work. You, you may have ruffled some people's feathers, I, you, but that's when you, you know you're doing the right thing. But you also uh, just endeared yourself to a lot of people without being a kiss up. And I mean, I I was in amazement, not amazement of it, that, but you know, it's just something that I, it's just a great quality and something that uh, <laughs> is not in me, but it is in you. And I'm like, yeah, go for it, you know. So I'm I'm glad, you know, in this time especially, that there is some edification in knowing that, yeah, one, it is surprising how many people you do touch. Nobody really knows, and two, that. You know, it's been a positive thing, and hopefully they'll be responsive to financially. I mean, talk is nice, but the walk is better. So I can say that you can't, but, you know, I just, you know, you've always been a joy, man. I mean, whenever I had to interview you, and I, I, I was talking to Andy Colvin today. Whenever I did Andy, I did him a lot, and also uh, Adam Rightly and you, when I knew that was coming up, I mean, it was like a holiday. And I was very happy to do it. It was pure joy, and, I'll, you know, I'll never forget it. I mean, that's that's been the high points. So, uh, you know, it just was a good experience for me. And, um, 
I always enjoyed you coming on because you didn't compromise the truth, and yet you found a way to, to uh, share it without getting like 17 million people mad at you like I do. So. <laughs> you, you told me once that I <laughs> Steve Miller? The Steve, the Steve Miller uh, <laughs> theorist or something like that. I swear, I, Dave, you're not going to believe this, but like two days ago, before I even talked to Michael about this, uh, Miller's time keeps on slipping, right? And I thought of you. I just did, and I chuckled because, yeah, I did make that remark, but that's the way I felt. Honest to God, that's the the equation I can make between you and him and your places in your own special industries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate you, know, and, um, yeah, you know, and the, the moral support is great, too. I mean, I get these... Uh, I get emails from people that I mean I you know don't actually know me from Adam and uh, just pouring their hearts out to me you know telling me that they cry like a baby when they heard the news and uh, you know wishing me all the best and telling me you know what a huge impact I've had on their lives and what a what a terrible loss it be and I mean it's uh, it's you know I have some very bad days and. Um, you know, it's always nice when I'm in the midst of a particularly bad day to go check my email and, and uh, you know, find a message like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing for lifting my spirits. And, um, you know, because it is a struggle to uh, to keep my head up, you know, uh, both physically and mentally. It's This is, uh, this is quite a challenge for me. And um, so, uh, you know, it, it all means a lot to me. It really does, whether, you know, people I need to, Money, encouragement, or um, oh boy, hey help, Dave, uh, Dave, help keep me, uh, help help me keep my head up. Jeez, Almighty, this always happens to me whenever I have a porn show. Dave, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. You're what breaking. Happened? You are breaking up. Oh really? Yeah, this is not good. Um. There is a way to solve this problem. Are you? If I gave you the number and uh, enter the call, uh, enter call ID, would you be willing to call into the show? Yeah, that, I can. that would probably yeah. solve the problem. I, I'm sorry, folks. I had to go through this with, of all people, Keith, and I have never had this problem. Except for with Keith and now with you, Dave. So, well, I don't know. I'm, 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 yeah, right. I'm here, so it's, you know, so Dave caught it. <laughs> I'm serious. I've never had this tweaking weird thing that happens. Um, I've had other weird things. I've had them, but um, yeah. So if you're ready, I'll, I'll give you uh, the uh, the talk shoe number you need to call in. Okay. And the rest of you folks could probably use this too in the future if you want. Uh, okay, it's one seven two four 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 seven four four four. I missed a number there somewhere. One seven two four 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 four, and then seven what's four the last? four. The last four are seven. seven. Four, four, four. Yeah, seven four four four. So three fours at the end. Then okay. the enter call. I think he's. You know, I've never. It's weird. I've never done this myself. But I think uh, well, you did it, Keith. Right? You just called by the phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so you enter this number. It seemed to be all you had to do. 
This is the the enter call ID number, and it's one three five three nine nine pound pound. Okay. And then we can solve this because this would be an absolute travesty if we continue like this and all you do is breaking in and out. So, <laughs> oh, well, that's way it goes. All right. So hang up and call back? Yeah, definitely. And then um, I guess if you're the next one to call, I'll open you up. So you should be the one. So. Oops. Okay. Okay. No problem. All right. Um, Anyways. Wait. So go ahead, Keith. Michael, if if this doesn't work for whatever reason, plus you're going to ask him for um, a PIN number, which we don't have, but it says if you don't have one, you know, dial one and then the pound sign. So I think he understands to so go ahead and do that. But here's what I was going to say to you, because I haven't thought about this uh, in quite some time. Um, let me see. I think I have three-way on this, on this phone, which means... If it doesn't work, I could call him and pull him in. And in essence, we would be on the same line. Absolutely. If that's if that's the answer to this situation, let's do it. Yeah, I think I got three way. Uh, that looks that looks like that's him. That has to be. All right, let's open it up. We can see. We can. I'm back. Hey, Dave, there you are. Is that better? Oh, my gosh, it is. A million times better so far. So far, you know, cross our fingers so far. So that we should now okay. have, yeah, awesome. Very cool, very awesome. So. All right, where were we at with all this? Oh, so we were, uh, oh, yeah, Keith was uh, talking a little bit about you guys' journey. You want to carry on with that, Keith? Oh, no, it, it was just that. He is special, um, and I told him that when things were good. Uh, so, I mean, he knows I'm telling him the truth. Um, and, I, and, I, and I tell you, Dave, I don't know if you need this to invigorate yourself, but we can argue about Lincoln's assassination if we don't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you're still looking into that, because I, I, have, I have been myself. I've had a lot of time for reading lately, and I'm currently reading, I think it's, I think it's my 21st book, actually, on the uh, Lincoln assassination. I've read, like, all the mainstream ones, all the, all the uh, quote-unquote conspiracy theory ones. And, I mean, uh, it's a rather point because, like, 95% of what I'm reading now is redundant, except that I've mm-hmm. a dozen times. But uh, every book has, a, you know, a few little tidbits of, of new and interesting information. So I'm... Uh, I'm continuing to uh, to read everything I can get my hands on, and uh, it, it's it's amazing how many open questions there still are after 150 years, you know. Uh, I I don't mean to hijack the uh, discussion right now about that, but I will. I was hoping I could because that thing was so filthy with rotten politicians and deals and everything. That I mean, I don't think Lincoln was an angel. I don't think he was the worst thing that ever came down the pike. I mean, he was a president. He signed on. He knew what the deal was. But I'll tell you what, in that second term, there was no way he was getting out of D.C. alive. I mean, that's just – it looked worse than Julius Caesar, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story, and uh, it's just – it's amazing how, how much we still don't know, how many open questions there still are, how many – 
how many things that are accepted as irrefutable facts that when you really look closely uh don't don't really hold up and um you know a couple of the books that I've read uh have have stated that uh you know the Lincoln assassination is the least least well understood event in American history and uh I I don't know if that that might be a bit of an overstatement but it's certainly true that uh that we most people, the vast majority of the people, even people who think they are well versed on the Lincoln assassination, uh, don't really know the true facts of the case. Um, you know, even 150 years after the fact, you know, it's it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know how how much uh, how many how many open questions there still are about uh, about what about what exactly did go down that day. You know. Um, I just want to add one thing, and I. I told you about this, but for the people who might be listening, if they're not aware of it, what was interesting about the reporting on Lincoln was that you did have the telegraph, so you did have information being processed a little bit quicker than in, in decades and in, in, uh, you know, centuries before. Um, but you can also follow the sanitation of the whole affair in newspapers uh, day by day, and and you can find them on chroniclingamerica.loc.gov, and you would you just hit like the Washington, it was the Evening Star, let's say, and you know go ahead and hit April whatever 26th, uh, 1865, and there they are, you know headlines and stories, and the it, like we always say, and it goes to what ha- you know happens to this very day. The first reporting of an event is pretty much the real deal until the spin mices get to it within 12 to 24 hours. And, I mean, that happened just so unbelievably uh, stark with 9-11. But, I, but I, when I go back and I look at the newspapers that were covering it, and I used the Evening Star out of D.C. and also the New York Tribune and watch their coverage, and it's like, here we go with the spin machines, you know, and the mops and everything else. So I, I just want to throw that link in there because people, if you've never gone there, I mean, you, I mean, some of these papers go back to the 1850s. And you can read events, you know, that were not necessarily recorded in our history books in the same manner. So. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, seeing how, how little has actually changed in a century and a half, you know. Um yeah, I mean, we we see so many familiar patterns, like you know, like you say, the the, the initial uh, the initial contradictory stories, and then the official spin setting in, and and uh, everybody towing the line, and and then just it's just amazing, you know, how how many parallels there are. You know, you have this Boston Corbett guy playing the role of Jack Ruby, you know, <laughs> that conveniently. Conveniently finishing off the assassin so that there's no no you know real investigation or trial or anything and um, just it's just just a, an, an all all and so many people who supposedly dropped the ball you know who who supposedly uh, were asleep on the job or whatever you know there's this, uh, John Parker that was supposed to be a security guard that night who was AWOL and left him wide open and. Uh, Cobb, the guard at the Navy Yard Bridge, who inexplicably 
let uh, Booth and Harold uh, supposedly cross after curfew, um, you know, against standing orders and, you know, various other things that happened. And, of course, none of these, None of these people ever suffered any kind of punishment or repercussions for you know, and it's just right. just like now, you know, we we hear oh nine one one was an intelligence failure, but yet nobody lost their jobs, no one was reprimanded, and you know, no one no no one suffered any repercussions for their supposedly uh, dropping the ball on you know, and it just on and on and on. There's just so many parallels, and and uh, the more you look into it, the more you realize that. Uh, Things really haven't changed all that much in all that time, you know. They're still they're still dusting off the same script and and running these things the same way, and uh, and it's still working to a large degree, you know. Well, they, why, why so, change the formula that's successful? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it still works, you know. I mean, ninety percent of the people are going to buy into it, so why uh, you know why flip the script when uh, when they've done it so many times before and and done it successfully? So you know you don't fix what ain't broken. And um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story. It really is. It's uh, and there's just so many interesting facets to it, and uh, you know so many interesting characters that were involved directly and peripherally, and and the fates that met some of these people, you know, how many, how many mysterious deaths followed it or people uh, turned up dead and or institutionalized who were, you know, key uh, key figures in this whole thing. And, you know, just like the Kennedy assassination, you, got, you have this trail of uh, trail of dead witnesses, you know, <laughs> following yeah, well, the assassination. And it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable, really. It's, it really is uh, amazing how, uh, how many parallels and, and how closely it fits the pattern of, of what we still see happening today. Um, Lafayette Baker, you remember that name? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he, was the, he was the head of that National Detective Police. Uh-huh. Well, he survived two to three attempts, and then he finally succumbed to a poisoning. Uh, but one of his agents, and this is after the war, uh, faked his own death because he felt that he, he might be next. Uh, and so on a, on vacation up in New Jersey, this guy's name was Bernard. Um, he swam in the ocean and faked his death, went out to the West coast and finished off his life, uh, because he felt that it was only a matter of time before he was gone too. So, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, his, uh, deposition is on, is on, uh, the internet. But it's, you know, it's amazing because here's a guy that, that knew what was going on. And, you know, he, he and another few others who gave some kind of testimonies before their death, not for profit, just to get it on the record, and mostly before they were going to die of old age or whatever, um, said that they had so much more to, to tell. But, quote, it wouldn't do any good or, you know, blah. And I'm like, I wish somebody would have done it because it leaves so much more open. And here they suggest, you know, quite specifically that there was a whole lot more, but we'll never know. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of bodies, man. I mean, uh, yes, yeah, Silas Cobb, who I mentioned, the, the guard at the uh, Navy Yard Bridge, he supposedly uh, drowned within a couple of years. And, you know, Lafayette Baker, of course, uh, after, as you say, after surviving surviving uh, several uh, failed attempts, uh, you know, uh, turned up dead. And, uh Edwin Stanton, 
turned up dead fairly soon afterwards, you know. Um, Henry Rathbone uh, sliced up his wife and, and uh, spent the rest of his life in a mental institution. And a couple of the radical Republican senators turned up dead. And uh, the guy, that the proprietor of the Peterson House, where, where uh, Lincoln was taken across the street and, and where he passed away the following morning, he turned up dead soon afterwards. And I mean, it, it's amazing how many of the people who were who were very closely connected in various ways uh, came to a very untimely end. And, uh, and I mean, that's just a, that's just a few of them. There's, there's quite a few more. I don't don't can, well, uh, I mean, just remember recite too, them I mean, all off the top of my head. But well, uh, what's look, that? I mean, they rushed the judgment and to execution with eight of the supposed conspirators. Lord knows, maybe what. One or two actually might have been involved. I mean, it was that bad. And to, and apparently, um, Surratt, Mary Surratt, was given a reprieve. And uh, I forget who did it, but somebody took it and slid it into his pocket and didn't get to Lincoln. To Johnson, you mean? Well, yeah, you know what? I think it is Johnson. You're right. You're right. Yeah, Lincoln, and, Lincoln was dead. So. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, Johnson is the one that ate the... Uh, the uh, reprieve that had been given by uh, the uh, justices or whatever, you know, whoever was presiding over the uh, the trials, and it never got there. So, you know, she went to her death, and one person who was pumping Surratt for information, John, did so on the proviso that she was going to be reprieved, and he was so pissed he gave one. He gave one uh, lecture. Do you remember the lecture supposedly in uh, Rockville, Maryland? Yeah. And he, he, you know, he he watched what he said, but I mean, I guess the one that he really wanted to th- uh, slit the throat of was what was the one that was the uh, supposed star witness who perjured himself like 117 times? What was that cat's name? Uh, the guy that testified under a pseudonym, like Harry, Harry Conover, I think it was, or I don't know, I don't know if that was his real name. That was one of the names he used. Is that the guy uh, you're, you're thinking of, or? No, or, I'll uh, get it later. But it, it was the one. Lewis Weichman. Huh? Lou, Lewis Weichman. There you go. The guy who was a War Department attaché and uh, just happened to be living at the Surratt House and just happened to be close to all these people and. Uh, and should have been, by all rights, viewed as one of the conspirators, right. given his uh, web of connections and, and whatnot. And instead, he ended up uh, serving as the star witness for the prosecution and uh, gave a bunch of very highly dubious testimony yeah, that right. sent a few of them, to Mary Surratt especially, uh, to their death. So, yeah, he's... Uh, a very questionable character, to say the least, you know, with direct ties to the War Department and, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, definitely very, uh, yeah, very, very, I mean, that whole trial, you know, there were so many witnesses that perjured themselves and so much uh, evidence that appeared to be manufactured that was presented and, uh, you know, I mean, the, the prosecutors had all the power in that trial, or what they call the trial, under the uh, improvised military rules, you know, the, the defense, even if they had had real defense attorneys, and I, I have no idea if they were actually, you know, legit, but 
even if they were, their hands were so thoroughly tied. The prosecution had had so many advantages in in that uh, in those proceedings. You know, they basically had free reign to present anything they wanted as, as supposedly legitimate, uh, you know, testimony and evidence and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just the whole thing was just a pretty much of a complete sham, you know. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very sordid uh, tale, and uh, and one that that uh, you know people would be very well served to uh, to look a little deeper into. Even though it was a very long time ago, it has direct relevance to you know what 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 we're still seeing very much so, uh, what we're still seeing today on a on a regular basis. Now, now you um you uh, have have gone as far as how many parts? Uh, in, in oh your, uh, gosh, I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. You know, I, I got chemo brain these days. My memory's not quite as sharp as it uh, as it usually is. But um, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe a dozen or so. Yeah, uh, maybe more. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how many parts I have up. I still have a lot more material that I'm still hoping to to get through and organize and get written up. And uh, get posted up there because uh, yeah, there's there's no shortage of uh, of material that I've that I've dug up. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying. I'm doing my best to get back to it and uh, you know uh, get it get it completed. So time will tell how that works out. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just it's just an infinitely fascinating story and. Um, you know, so many open questions, you know, was the guy, you know, what was the guy that was killed in Gare's barn, even John Wilkes Booth, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a question that people were asking way back in 1865, you know, right right out of the gate, people were, were very skeptical of uh, the claim that Booth had been captured, you know, because they disposed of the body within, within literally within hours. I mean, it wasn't even in Washington for like 24 hours. They hustled it in, did a quickie, uh, you know, medical inquiry supposedly, and then, uh, and then ditched the body with, you know, no, no photographs. It, it wasn't allowed to be viewed by any family members or any of his, uh, peers in the, in the theatrical community. And, you know, there were all kinds of people in Washington that could have positively ID'd him. Uh, including his supposed co-conspirators who were being held right on the same damn ship where his, you know, pseudo-autopsy was being done. And, uh, you know, so they had they, they had no shortage of, of uh, real credible witnesses that they could have brought in to positively identify him, or they could have photog- released photographs of the body, or they could have even put the body on display which sounds very morbid now, but in those days it was not at all uncommon to, uh, to you know, display, you know, in the Wild West days that, that immediately followed the Civil War, that was, that was pretty much common practice that they would, uh, you know, when, when they caught some high-profile uh, Wild West outlaw, they would they use on display. And, and um, so, so there was a lot of skepticism. Right off the bat, you know, people were saying, well, why didn't we see the body? Why didn't we at least see some pictures? You have some people who actually knew him intimately, you know, ID the body and confirm that it was him. So, you know, that, that, that was an open question right from the beginning, whether, whether it actually was John Wilkes Booth that was, uh, 
that was gunned down in that barn. And, and that's just one of many, many questions that, uh, you know, remain uh, open to this day. Um, a listener checked your site and said there are 12 parts uh, on your site. Yeah. yeah. Hey, okay. can I... Can I can I interrupt just a little bit, just a little bit gentlemen? Uh, sure. Uh, please, please keep this going because there's a lot of positive feedback, and I think people really do want to hear this conversation. Well, so please don't be hesitant about keeping it going. So I just want to let you know. Well, okay. I, I wanted to add that from one of the listeners, and another listener, um, I believe it's Andrew, um, said that the last book he's written, uh, read on uh, the uh, assassination, and I've not read this one, is "Who Killed Abraham Lincoln" by Paul Seraph. Are you familiar with that title? By who's it by? Well, the spelling is S E R U P. I would, I, I guess it's Paul Serup. I, I don't know. I have, I have not yet stumbled across that one. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. And the only thing I wanted to say was I wrapped up what I was doing in thirteen parts of audios, but I also included a lot of links, uh, you know, covering the story and other um, resources that had been accumulated from certain principles around Booth, who, uh, what a character, holy mackerel. But, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, when you got into it, and, and of course nobody knows what happened for sure at um, Seward's house, and of course you bring up the case of Lewis Powell or Payne, and that that is probably the biggest enigma of them all, I think. Because it just is such a strange event. And again, um, the testimonies from at least three of the other Sewards, the daughter, the mother, and uh, probably the one brother who nearly got killed. And, and then there's a fourth, that's Augustus, who I think was a key to what happened there. Um, Augustus wasn't, you know, he was a, shoot, a few bricks shy of a load. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the funny, the funny thing is that the the initial reports of the, the first people on the scene they didn't even mention Augustus being there. You know, they they talked about uh, Frederick was there and the rest of the family, but no nobody even mentioned that Augustus was even on the scene, and yet he became uh, one of the star witnesses for the prosecution, which was uh, a little odd. And uh, you know, you mentioned the the the. Uh, the uh, the wife, Stuart's wife, and and, uh, the, and the daughter, Fanny, and and there again, you have two more people who it's turned up died. dead yep. in, in a very short amount. So the the uh, wife, she didn't even make it through the trial. She, she was dead before the trial even concluded a few months later. And then uh, I believe the daughter passed away the very next year. So uh, uh, you know, again, you have these key these key witnesses that just seem to have uh, turned up dead, you know, uh, uh, to an astounding degree. And, uh, but yeah, that, that whole event was just, was just bizarre. You know, the, the notion that this, this one guy who had no knowledge of the layout of his house or anything had never been there. And it was a very large three story home, uh, you know, with, uh, with a lot of rooms and whatnot. And, and this guy supposed and, and a lot of people there, you know. I mean, uh, you had you had his nurse, you had the uh, the houseboy, you had a, a, a state department emissary there. You had numerous family members, you know, allegedly both sons, the daughter, the wife, one of the uh, daughter-in-laws. I mean, there, there was like I don't know eight people or something in this house, 
And this guy goes in alone with a non-working gun and uh, and manages to just lay waste to <laughs> this, this entire family and uh, and get out alive, you know. And this was this was in the the, the closing days of the the Civil War when everybody was armed, you know. There were there were weapons in the house. In fact, you know, he, the one son was a military officer, and. Um, so, you know, this guy goes into this house that's full of people that he has no idea how many of them are armed. He has no idea what the layout of the house is. He has no idea where he actually has to go in the house to find his target. And yet he just prances in there and, and gets past all of these people and, and uh, gets to his target and then uh, gets back out and makes his escape and, you know, goes hand-to-hand because, he, he, you know, his gun didn't work, so he basically had to rely on a knife and, uh, you know, hand-to-hand combat with uh, with multiple defenders, you know. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> had like two or three, you know, people at once trying to defend the, uh, the Secretary of State. And, uh, and this guy manages to put, like, virtually all of them in the hospital, according to the official story, walk out of there without a scratch on him, and you know, a few days later he's photographed, you know, on the Montauk, and uh, there's no visible scrapes, scars, abrasions on his hands or face. Or, I mean, he certainly doesn't look like that guy who just took on a whole house full of people, you know, and uh, put all put most of them in the hospital and, and walked away himself without a scratch on him. You know, it's, 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 the whole story is just bizarre. And then you had so much conflicting testimony from the various witnesses about how it went down, you know, that there's no continuity whatsoever. If you look at the various uh, witness accounts, you know, uh, on, on how this supposedly went down, there's just so many discrepancies in there. And yeah, the whole thing is just, is just, is just bizarre, you know, but, but I think it's also bizarre that, that John Wilkes Booth would go into a crowded theater full of, you know, a lot of military, armed military people and whatnot, and uh, with the goal of, of supposedly assassinating both Lincoln and Grant, you know, and after getting through, uh, presumably getting through armed guards before he can even get to the two of them, and he goes in armed with a single-shot Derringer, you know, I <laughs> And it amazes me that very few people have questioned that in 150 years. Why in the world would you think that you could succeed in that? You know, under any normal circumstances, there's no way that you could succeed in that goal because, you know, there should have been armed guards there, for one thing, and you only got one bullet in your gun. If you use it to get past the guard, then how are you going to assassinate the president and uh, General Grant, you know? And as it turned out, of course, Grant wasn't actually there, but but all the reports had been that he was that he was going to be <clears throat> and along with a, probably a military entourage and um yeah i mean the notion that this guy's going to go in and get past these guards and take out a couple of high profile targets and then and then make his escape from a crowded theater and then make his escape all the way out of washington which was just crawling with tens of thousands of federal troops and all he's got to defend himself with is a single-shot Derringer, you know? I mean, it's just bizarre that <laughs> that somebody would would even attempt to do that, you know? And, and the odds of succeeding are, uh, you know, 
not real good, but yet uh, he somehow managed to pull it off, you know. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's just it's 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 an endlessly fascinating uh, you know story to look into, and uh, I just I I just find myself shaking my head all the time, thinking why would yeah. he do that, or how would he do that, <laughs> you know? Um, so. You know, and then he gives his real name to this guard uh, on the Navy Yard Bridge. You're like, why would you do that? Why? <laughs> there, there's going to be posses coming after you. Why are you going to tip off authorities to your escape route, you know? And uh, just on and on and on. There's just so many questions that just that just don't really add up for me anyway. Let me ask you, <laughs> maybe, you should, maybe you should throw this open to folks if they have questions. I, I, there may be people who want to speak to you about Boston. Uh, and, and other things, but I'll just say this: uh, archive.org is a great uh, treasure trove of books of antiquity. And uh, there was one that's very brief, but it, again, it's just—it's so um, titillating, and yet it can't go the whole nine yards again because there always will be gaps. But the name of the book was Lewis Payne, Pawn of John Wilkes Booth by Leon O. Pryor. And it's not that long a book, but it's got, it sheds some information on Payne or Powell, and that's another thing, you know, who, what was his name? Um, and, it, and it's there to be um, accessed by anyone. Uh, I just want to throw that in there um, because I don't know if you read it, um, but I was hoping that maybe one day you could, and I think I probably sent you a link, not a big deal, but um, it's only like 35 pages. Uh, and it tries to give some background into to that very enigmatic character uh, who went to his death pretty quietly. So, uh, and it's a book I'll find also that was written by his defense lawyer. And uh, just I'll end it with this uh, on my behalf anyway. And what the the, uh, def, def, uh, his defending attorney had stated was that whole trial was only conducted from one viewpoint, and that is that. John Wilkes Booth did it, and they were all, you know, his uh, accomplices. I mean, no other outside in, uh, uh, interests or intrigues were involved. They looked at it from one viewpoint, and that's the way it was. And if it didn't fit, other testimony didn't fit into their schema, it got uh, disposed of. So it was, for the most part, as you would expect, a kangaroo court. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you're right. Lewis Lewis Payne Powell is uh, is quite an enigma. I mean, you see him identified by multiple different names in the literature. Some some books refer to him as Lewis Powell. Some refer to him as Lewis Payne, spelled P-A-I-N-E. Some of them refer to him as Lewis Payne, spelled P-A-Y-N-E. And apparently, they hung this guy and buried him without even without even really knowing what what his what his actual identity was, you know, by all appearances. And I mean, there are some books out there that claim that there, there were, that there was two different people, that there was a Lewis Powell and a Lewis Payne. And, um, and that they may have executed the wrong, uh, the wrong Lewis, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical that, that one man did everything, whatever his name was, could have, could have even done what, you know, what we're told that, that he did. So yeah, that that's uh, that's another enduring enigma is just who exactly was this guy and how did he get wrapped up in in the uh, in this plot, you know? And 
So uh, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating, fascinating story. It really is. Yeah, it's it's an onion skin for sure, and it it is. It's it was a lot of fun to do, and you can get yourself lost in there, and I certainly did. But uh, I just thank you for uh, uh, broaching that now, uh, because I was I was kidding around with Michael saying, uh, you know, just just tell uh, McGowan that, uh, you know, we can argue about the assassination, pick up where we left off, and, and uh, I just I I still would love to talk to you at length about it. There's so much more. Yeah, I know. I know that I, I know that we definitely have disagreements in some areas, and uh, like I said, there's such a wealth of in, information out there, and so much of it is contradictory, you know. And, and depending where you where you look and who you choose to find the most credible witnesses, you know, you can you can construct a number of different scenarios on uh, on what actually happened and who was actually behind it. And um, you know, this, this many years after the fact, we're we, you know. It's, extremely unlikely that we're ever going to know the full truth of what actually happened, you know, but, um, but yeah, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing story. It really is. And, uh, I would, I would definitely encourage people who, uh, even, even if you think you, you know, the Lincoln assassination to, uh, to, to dig a little deeper and, and, uh, might be surprised by, by what you find. So, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty crazy story. It really is. Well, uh, I tell you what, I don't know if anybody wants to jump in here. Um, I, I'll, I'll button it on my end. But if not, I mean, um, I'm sure you had an agenda as well because there's some things that have occurred that, you know, I, I, I got to a point sometimes where I'd say, you know, I'd like to talk to McGowan about this, you know, just not thinking it was going to happen. But, um so I defer to you or, or the listeners if they want to change the channel on this, if that's okay with you, Dave. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I, you know, whatever, uh, whatever, whatever you guys want to, you know, we discuss uh, staged events. We can discuss weird scenes. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever direction you guys want to go. Um, if, if no one's coming in, and you know, I'll give them some time. If we could. Uh-huh. I would like to ask a couple questions. No, Michael, <laughs> get out of here, Michael. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you don't mind, Dave, they're kind of more personal questions. Um, okay. First of all, Gemma, first of all, Gemma, thank you for giving us uh, a history lesson there. And uh, I feel like uh, between listening to you, Gemma, like uh, you, Dave, and, and you, Keith, and others, that I, I, I know I probably sound like I'm kissing butt here, but I'm not. I'm being genuine. I'm a blue-collar guy. I mean, you know, before this, I mean, I was a guy who was just a working stiff, you know, a guy of the world. I these kind of I never even thought about asking you these kind of questions, or that there might be something deeper going on in the world, you know. <laughs> just a blue-collar guy from Ohio, so. Uh, but, uh, but one of the things I'm fascinated about, and um, if you listen to that, you know, Dave, you heard enough of that uh, intro of that uh, audio and talking about Clinton and his conversation with a carpenter and that, uh, you know, as far as the moon landing go and the being a hoax and all that, uh, I, I gravitate to that because, well, you're a carpenter. I'm a blue collar guy. One time I was in the carpenters union and I've done all sorts of those kind of types of jobs. I've been in silver unions and all that kind of things. So. Why do I bring that up? Well, the, the reason I bring that up is because I'm absolutely fascinated by you, the person. I really am. I know this sounds weird, but 
here's some guy who's a, basically a blue-collar guy. He's worked with his hands all his life, bound in nails, and, and yet you seem to have been given a, a sense, a sixth sense, if you will, or whatever, of the ability to recognize all the contradictions in the world. And um, I know the sound. If you don't want to go down this road, it's cool. But I just like, uh, what the heck happened, Dave? <laughs> what happened to you? What happened to you? Because you know you're you're not the norm, man. You're not. And I'm saying this with positive praise and gratitude that you aren't, because you forced along with Keith and and others. That, uh, you know, I I I don't know. You know, I mean, I. Um... I was always a little more intelligent than the average bear. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of bored in school. And uh, and I was always very skeptical because, uh, you know, I always felt like what I was being taught in school, just the pieces didn't quite fit together right, you know. And, and I always had questions. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the history as, as it was taught to me just, just – never really made a lot of sense, you know. There seemed to be a lot of holes, a lot of gaps, a lot of things that just didn't really make sense. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I, I started drifting further and further away from the mainstream, you know. And in college uh, days, I, you know, I got a lot of my news from, like, uh, uh, Mother Jones and The Nation and The Progressive and whatnot. And, sure. And, uh, and I thought, you know, oh, okay, now I'm now I'm getting the real story. And then... You know, with passage of time, I eventually realized, well, they're giving me a little more than of the real story, but there's still a lot of stuff here that doesn't make sense, you know? So I ventured farther off the beaten path and started reading stuff like Prevailing Winds and Covert Action Quarterly and, you know, more uh, more hardcore kind of, uh, you know, alternative uh, media uh, sources and... Uh, you know, and again, okay, so now, you know, now I'm in, and, and again, <laughs> I'd reach a point where where I'd realize, you know, I'm still not, this, this still isn't all adding up, and uh, just over the years, I just drifted farther and farther and farther along until somehow or other I found myself deep in the uh, hardcore conspiracy world, you know, looking for answers, and um and I finally started finding some. Of course, mixed in with a lot of disinformation as well. You know, I mean, it's a minefield out there trying to sort out, you know, what's 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 legit and what's not. And uh, I mean, basically, it's just it's been a personal journey for me to make sense of of the world that I live in. To you know, try to make sense of a world that that from a pretty early age didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And uh, you know, I feel like now I've reached a point where where it does make sense to me, and and when events as as, as events are unfolding now before me, uh, it all makes perfect sense now in a way that it didn't before. You know, you know, okay, well that's kind of predictable. Yeah, you know, <laughs> saw that one coming a mile away, and and um, so there's a certain satisfaction to. Uh, to reaching a point where where the world does start to kind of make some sense and to where where these events become kind of predictable and and uh, and uh, you know you kind of see how they're going to play out and um, but but at the same time it's it's terrifying you know to to realize just just how 
scary world we really do live in and just, just what these people are capable of doing and how far they will go to advance their agenda and um and how how, how easily fooled the uh the vast majority of the American people are, you know, and uh, how they will just follow uh, the lead of what their politicians and their media representatives tell them is the truth. And um, so I guess that's, that's kind of the best that I can describe it, I suppose. And, um, you know, I've, I, 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 I feel like I've, I've lived kind of a double life, you know, for the last 20 years or so, you know, because I, I have worked as a, you know, very much a blue collar guy, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, carpenter, although I'm really more of a glorified handyman because I'm a one man shop. I, I, you know, I work alone. I do my own thing. And uh, so I'm, uh, you know, I tend to take on smaller jobs and, and do everything myself because I'm a, I'm a uh, horrible perfectionist. And um, it's very hard for me to delegate work to other people because I'm never happy with the work they do. So, you know, I, I've I've labored very long and hard for many years now doing, you know, basically manual labor. And, you know, when I'm at work in, in my ragged uh, blue, you know, my ragged Levi's and my paint splattered shirt, you know, up on a ladder doing whatever it is I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, other people coming, coming and going from the job, uh, you know, they're, they're not thinking – hey, you know, why don't we ask the carpenter guy over there what he thinks really happened at the Boston Marathon, you know? I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just not, that's not going to happen, you know? <laughs> just, you know, I'm just uh, another, you know, blue-collar, uh, dumbass worker on the job, you know? And uh, and then I go home and, you know, slip into my superhero outfit and uh, try to save the world, you know? So, uh so it's been very compartmentalized, you know, because I don't talk about that stuff at work. It doesn't really mix well with business, you know. <laughs> no, it doesn't at <laughs> all. Trying. Absolutely. And you're absolutely yeah, right. I mean, you are. Not, 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 yeah. good, not good for bringing on new clients if you're out on the job ranting and raving about how 911 was an inside job and Sandy Hook and Boston were completely staged and, you know. <laughs> you'll, you'll drive away That's friends right. and clients and everyone. So yeah, it's true. Yeah. You definitely have lived so, a double life. So, so yeah, so I've, I've lived a very compartmentalized life where you know during the day on a day-to-day basis, I'm just another average Joe, you know. And then when I'm when I'm you know hiding away at my computer, I'm uh, I'm a completely different person, trying trying my best to wake people up and 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 save the world just to some degree, you know. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically been my journey. And, uh, if, if I'm being perfectly honest, you know, my original intent was not necessarily to, uh, to enlighten and inform people. It was, uh, it was more to, uh, to work on my own understanding, to, to make the world to where it made sense to me, you know, and by putting this stuff out there on the internet, uh, you know, once the internet came on, I very quickly, uh, you know, found that to be a friend, and uh, got on there very quickly and learned my way around and and uh, started putting my material out there, um, in 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 part to share it with other people and and you know try to try to inform and wake up people, but also in part to get feedback from people that that helped me to uh, to better my understanding of. Uh, 
the true nature of the world that we live in. So, so it's been partly an altruistic uh, journey to, you know, to help others, but but also to uh, to set my own, you know, to 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 just to to make sense of the world myself, so that uh, so that the world makes sense, so that so that I don't constantly have uh, questions about, you know what exactly is going on and why did he do this and why did she do that and why would the, you know and and I don't have nearly as many of those questions now um you know these things for better or worse uh you know these events uh make a lot more sense to me now as they come and uh in increasing frequency as they come okay. so yeah that's that's basically sort of my my arc of how I got from blue collar kid growing up in Torrance to, uh, to the person that I am now. Yeah. Awesome. That's really cool. Hey, before we get going a couple more of my questions here, Dave, Keith, um, I'm like having an incredibly terrible time with my eyesight. I think as I told you yesterday and I'll tell everybody again, uh, I just diagnosed, I have MS and so my right eye is flared because of the MS, and then I'd also discovered yesterday that I need bifocals. So I'm looking at the screen here in the chat room, and it's barely able to see any of it. So if you see a question, let us know, if you don't mind. Also, uh, Gordo, Gordon Comstock, sent me an email of uh, a couple questions, and if I were to email it to you, Keith, would you be able to retrieve it and maybe look at it and see if there's any of those questions are worth uh, your time sharing? Yeah, no, no problem. Um, if you want to take requests in the order uh, in which they came, uh, in fairness to who's listening, if that's okay, there was one um, here. Uh, oh, um, if you want to do this, the, the first question that was posed to Dave uh, goes like this: Does Dave have a take on Jay Weidner's theory about Kubrick and the moon landings? You want to feel that one? Uh, I, you know, I have not looked that deeply into it. It's, uh, it's a very compelling theory. I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Um, it kind of, it makes sense in a lot of ways and there is a lot of, uh, sort of circumstantial evidence that would tend to support it. I have not to date seen any like real hard and fast evidence that would convince me a hundred percent that that is, you know, that that did in fact happen. But, uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense, and, and I, I would I would definitely not rule it out, but I I could not really at this point fully endorse it either. But um, I I think it's perfectly credible and and, uh, and and quite quite you know very much possible that uh, that he very may well have been. What uh, what do you, what what are your thoughts? You know some of these uh, mysteries that. Well, again, you know, like we were just talking about, may never get solved. And then there's a time when I, I tend to stay away from them because it's like, okay, how does this impact where we're going? Uh, and I'm not trying to, you know, defer from this. But you see, and I, I know this sounds really facile, but I'm just going to ask this question because to me this thing is, I think, the core of it. Never have I ever heard with any kind of definiteness from any parties whether or not human beings can go through the Van Allen belt and does the Van Allen belt encircle the whole Earth? I know that may sound stupid, but to me, it's like, isn't that like what it's all about? 
that's that's certainly one of the uh one of the questions you know um yeah can can uh, can humans survive a a journey through the the van Allen belt because of course Apollo was the only time that it has allegedly happened, and that was forty plus years ago and uh nothing nothing even close to that has ever been repeated, which would tend to suggest that uh you know that, that it's probably not possible because you know, I mean, we we've seen technology advance just light years in uh, you know since 1969 in in all areas, you know, and you know if you look at like what we had in terms of uh, home electronics uh, or whatever, the computers and and whatnot, uh, 45 years ago versus what we have now, um, you know, they say that uh, they they were saying years ago that Sony Walkman had more computing power than uh, than one of the Apollo spacecraft, you know, and, and now, of course, uh, you know, just the cell phones that we're all holding in our hands right now have, you know, many, many, many times the computing power. And so, you know, the, the, the question is, if if we were able to do it so easily in 1969, and now here we are, you know, almost 50 years later with, with uh, just, you know, great, greatly advanced technology, why are we still unable to do it? You know, even even now with the, you know, with the technology we have now, it should be a piece of cake. You know, I mean, it should be pretty pretty routine. Uh, and uh, and yet and yet it's never happened. Nothing nothing even close to uh, Apollo has ever happened. You know, so um, that's certainly certainly very much a, a, a crucial question. Is, uh, is is it is it at all possible for uh, for man to survive a trip through the, the Van Allen radiation belt. And, I'm, um, I'm, I'm just going to throw this in, in, in here because for what it's worth, okay, um, a teammate of mine uh, from a high school baseball team, uh, for some strange reason, uh, accepted a scholarship from the College of Artesia in New Mexico. So um, I had just finishing up my senior year in high school. He was just finishing up his first year in college. So he comes back to town, and we go out one night, and uh, he goes to me, what do you think about the uh, moon landing? I mean, I don't know. I said, just rained a whole lot that night. <laughs> I had no idea where he was going with this. He says, do you know, he goes, that those farmers out in New Mexico swear to God that that was all faked out somewhere in the southwestern desert. He goes, none of them believe that that happened. And, you know, I'm thinking hillbillies and rednecks, you know, believe anything that the government says. And he's like, no, they don't. They think the whole damn thing was faked. And I just remember that, you know, going, yeah, yeah, okay. But now, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, the thing, the, 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 one of the amazing things is that, that the the government, uh, NASA, is, is, has basically admitted you know, I mean, not explicitly, but uh, in various ways, they, they've they've all but acknowledged that uh, that we do not have the technology to do it. You know, even now, you know, and, and they said that you know if we were going to start out on a, on a new uh, a moon mission, you know, it, it would take like fifteen or twenty years of, of uh, research and development before uh, before such a project could could actually uh, happen and. They've identified specific areas that that need to be worked on, like protecting the astronauts going through the Van Allen radiation belt. And they've said that uh, we need to design uh, entirely new spacesuits because none of the 
materials that we currently have for spacesuits uh, would be able to withstand the uh, the massive temperature extremes on the surface of the moon. And they said that we would need to develop uh, new technology to deal with the uh, the lunar dust that we would have to create like these docking stations where the astronauts, uh, where the spacesuits would basically dock to the outside of the landing craft and the uh, astronauts would kind of step into them through the wall of the uh, of the craft and then detach themselves and go out and do their missions. And then when they came back, they'd have to reverse that procedure and, and uh, you know, dock themselves onto the side of it and back up, back their way in, back into the uh, spaceship so that, all of none of the dust on the suit came into the uh, the uh, landing module because it would wreak havoc with uh, with the electronics and the mechanics on the ship, as well as pose a, a health threat to the uh, to the astronauts. They'd basically be living in like a snow dome full of lunar dust, you know, floating around. And yet, we saw them not only out walking around on the moon; we saw them driving dune buggies throwing up rooster tails full of dust and just coming back just absolutely caked with dust and walking right into, you know, climbing right back into the capsule with, with these dust-covered spacesuits, which NASA is now telling us uh, is definitely not a, is a, is a big no-no, you know, that, that, that would have to be uh, done in a completely different way now. And and yet nobody ever nobody you know when they when they make these kind of announcements nobody ever stands up and says wait a minute you know <laughs> why if we could do it 45 years ago why can't we just do it the same way we did it then it worked fine you know we didn't lose a single astronaut they all came back safe and sound and most of them are still alive and you know why reinvent the wheel if we already have uh, all of this technology that we used decades ago. Uh, why not just dust that off and, and use it again? Why, why do we why do we have to develop all this new technology to take care of things that were not even mentioned as problems back in the Apollo days? You know, so yeah, yeah I mean, there's a lot of factors there that just a lot of factors there that just don't add up at all. You know, I mean. How is it? How is it that all all the other technology in the world has made these huge advancements, but aerospace technology apparently has gone in reverse for the last uh, forty five years? You know, I had a guy on years ago, probably around '06, um, who was who was speaking to it and and showed some anomalies uh, in some of the footage, and I, I have to say, you know, it does raise a question. But then on the other hand, also, it's like, as you said, and everybody wonders, like, why didn't we go back again? But not only that, why didn't any other country go up at all? I mean, wouldn't Russia at that time been hot to go up there and say, okay, we did it too? And it, it, nothing like that ever happened. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing is this. If it was a canard, if it was a distraction, can we assume that something was going on from which we were distracted? Like, you know, watch my left hand while my right hand does something else. I remember Vietnam at that time was an ugly mess and about to get a yeah. lot uglier, you know, within a year. Yeah, it was wildly unpopular, and the Apollo uh, certainly stirred up uh, patriotism and, you know, the whole rally around the flag mentality. And, uh, you know, USA, aren't we the, we're the greatest nation on earth? And, uh, 
you know, it came at a time when uh, when the American people were really starting to question their government and, and, and why we were at war in Vietnam and, and what exactly our goals were. And, uh, you know, it served as a very nice distraction from that and coincided very nicely uh, with some of the, you know, the launches coincided very nicely with some of the major revelations that came out uh, about that war. And, uh, and then it wrapped up very clear. I mean, just like uh, as soon as the, uh, as soon as the peace treaty was signed, uh, they just dropped it like a hot potato. You know, there, there were, there were additional spacecraft built. There were crews that had been trained, you know, there were supposed to be all these additional missions. They had even talked about reaching the point where we could start colonizing the moon and or possibly putting uh, military weapons on the moon and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And uh, as soon as the war ended, uh, they just seemed to completely lose interest and it went away and never never returned. There was, there was no further talk of any additional Apollo missions or any of these other grandiose plans that uh, we were told that they had. And, and yeah, and how come nobody else has done it, you know? I mean, Russia was running neck and neck with us, you know? I mean, they, they, we were, you know, trading off, uh, you know, they were the first one to do this, and then we were the first one to do that, and, you know, it was a neck and neck race. And then and then all of a sudden, once we started completing the missions, they just supposedly just lost interest. It's like, well, okay, they beat us, we're done, you know? It, which doesn't make any sense, because if there were... If there was military potential in these missions, just for their own own survival, their own self-preservation, you would think they would have continued on with their with with their program and and, and uh, succeeded. And yet, not only did they not succeed back in 1969, they still haven't now. You know, 2015, and or the year you know, and and there's all kinds of other entities now that have the funding and certainly the technology well beyond what we had in 69, you know, China and the European Space Agency and, you know, on and I mean, there's, there's private companies now that have the financial backing and the technology to do something like that. And yet no one's done it. No one's even come close, you know. Uh, no one's left low Earth orbit. But, you know, that, that's an amazing thing that people don't realize that all of our other space missions, whether it's the International Space Station, the, uh, the the space shuttles, the Hubble telescope, those are all in low Earth orbit, like 200 miles from the surface of the Earth. That's that's the farthest that, since uh, since the last Apollo mission. That's the farthest that man has traveled from the surface of the Earth. It's like 200 miles, two to 300 miles. And uh, in the Apollo days, we were able to go what a quarter million miles. 234,000 miles or something like that. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's, you know, so, oh, well, you know, we can get guys into orbit and, you know, we can launch uh, space shuttles and we can do this and that. And, you know, what's the big deal to just go a little bit further to go to the moon? Well, it's not just going a little bit further. <laughs> it's the difference between 200 miles and a quarter million miles, you know. That's like saying if I can walk to my next door neighbor's house, I should be able to walk around the world. You know, it's it's so yeah, it's you know there, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions there. You know that should uh, that should definitely uh, lead people to question well, whether well, Dave, we did in fact make it to the moon all those got, many years ago. 
we got some comments and some questions for you, so uh, I'm just going to bump it along. But I, I, this, there's a couple of things here that are a hoop. Um, one of the listeners wrote, um, you know, about all this stuff about going to the moon. He goes, all we get now is, wow, we grew lettuce on the space station. <laughs> and, and now we are eating it as a salad. <laughs> Everything I dreamed humans in space could be. You know, so. And also, um, that's pretty good. It is true. Everybody's saying, like, who gives a shit? Anyway, excuse me. Um, and Manufactured wrote, if we cannot successfully launch rockets into space, how in the world will 5,000 nukes successfully launch? Um, I'm only going to say this real quick because that's, you know, I, I don't want to stay there. But I will tell you this, that there are questions about whether or not nukes were ever dropped to begin with. And I know that may sound crazy, but, you know, they never tested them dropping out of a plane. The question is, what in the world happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki? I'll leave it at that. Um, now, to get a little more specific, uh, you ready to take another uh, uh, comment and question? Sure. Uh, because Michael did pass along uh, the e email from Gordo. Um, he said, uh, uh, regarding uh, your old original newsletters uh, from the website probably early 2000s, number one, in the late summer of 2001 in Santa Clara, Clarita, California, a bunch of sheriffs surrounded a residential home one day, and it was all over the news. It ended up with the guy killing himself, I think. It was the day before I finally moved out of Santa Clarita, so I remember it. It was creepy, but not the only time something like that happened in Santa Clarita. Having lived there, I sometimes wondered if the town had moved sheriffs, had more sheriffs than civilians. Holy crap, was it ever easy to get pulled over and given a ticket there? Um, and he said, uh, parentheses for whatever reason, uh, because the town was desperate for money to later become incorporated into a city. All right. And I wasn't a troublemaker, but any time I ever encountered a sheriff there, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It's like they were trained to act militant. But Dave has written much more on the growing militarization of police forces than most any other writer, and I just wanted to give him kudos for that. And since we did uh, read that and that you touched upon it, I'd ask you, that is happening Dave, what I would like to know is they, the federal government did give them money to get toys. Now, that may be with a purpose. Secondarily, we do have all the news coverage that is obviously going one way. That's all I'm going to state. Your take now, especially after looking back at what has taken place, since you may have touched upon that, uh, in the old newsletters. I remember that event in Santa Clarita, actually. Um, yeah, and, and a, a cop actually got killed there, got shot in the head, I believe, supposedly by this guy firing out of his house while he was barricaded in there. And I think they firebombed the place and burned it down or something. It was a, it was a big, a big thing. And uh, this guy had some rather shady connections, from what I recall. And it was a long time ago, so I don't remember all the details, but. Uh, yeah, that whole story was was kind of sketchy, and uh, I got I got the uh, I got the definite uh, uh, impression that the cop that died there was uh, was a friendly fire incident that he probably uh, showed up there and he wasn't supposed to be there and saw something he wasn't supposed to see because uh, yeah that that whole event kind of reeked and um, the other one that was around that same era and uh, again this was this was these events that took place before my political awakening, so to speak, and I thought they were kind of strange at the time, but, uh, you know, didn't really fully realize what exactly was going on at all, and 
and I kind of reevaluated them later. And the other one was the infamous uh, North Hollywood uh, bank robbery at the Bank of America, where these uh, two guys supposedly stormed in, in in full body armor with fully automatic weapons and and uh, and then marched down the street just spraying bullets everywhere and. Uh, even though they had like a LAPD command center there and helicopters in no time at all and just scores of officers, they claimed that they were uh, completely outgunned and, and uh, didn't know what to do and whatnot. And it took them a while to stop these guys. And they fired off like little like hundreds, possibly thousands of rounds. Nobody got killed except for the two uh, perpetrators. And, uh, and the original... Original news stories claim that there were more than two of them. You know, again, uh, you know, we have a case where, where the original uh, news stories uh, reported inconvenient facts that were very quickly scrubbed, and then it just became that they were, there were the two of them. But uh, originally they were reporting that there were, <clears throat> that there were like four or five of them. And, uh, and that was a hugely influential, uh, hugely influential event. Because that was used to, you know, the LAPD claims, oh, my God, we're outgunned. What if we can't, you know, we can't possibly police this city if we got criminals running around with body armor and fully automatic weapons. And next thing you know, the cops are being outfitted with M16s and body armor. And, and uh, that was the beginnings of, of what we see today, this full-on militarization of the police where the police don't even look like police anymore. They look like the occupying army, you know, and overseas you know there's there's like no there's like no no difference anymore you know i mean you you look at these events on tv now and you're not sure if you're looking at something happening in la or in afghanistan you know the the weapons the tactics the training the procedures it's all the same it's all it's all completely militarized now and um and that north hollywood was, was a key event in uh, in getting that all going, the SWAT teams and the crash teams and and uh, all the military gear and hardware and and uh, you know what what uh, what works in LA very quickly spreads throughout the country and um, you know looking back now it seems pretty clear that that was a a major event that uh, that was used to uh, and, and and at least a partially staged event in in my opinion you know from from my memory of it. <laughs> and um, yeah, that that played an enormous role, and uh, you know, along, along with probably the Santa Clarita incident as well, uh, played an enormous role in uh, in the police justifying uh, their need to to militarize. And now we now we see that going on, you know, on steroids pretty much around the country, where you know they have these armored personnel carriers and and you know, just. I mean everything imaginable that they have now, and um, yeah, a lot of that could be traced back directly to uh, to incidents that, that happened here in uh, L.A. some uh, what 25 years ago, and uh, and now the whole country's paying the price for that. Uh, I'm going to ask you this directly, and I don't want to get back. Um, uh, obviously, more uh, comments and questions from the listeners who are good enough to stay with us. Um, I'm not taking any sides in anything. The only thing I find uh, questionable is the way that the media has made sure that every incident that we have now 
of uh, especially Anglo cops shooting black uh, supposed perps. Uh, you know, was it always like this? And we're just hearing about it now. Uh, are they taking every opportunity to, to find these stories and put them up there? And I say this in light of the fact about, have you heard about the white teenager who w did not have any weapons on him and was shot to death for supposedly using his car as a weapon? All right, forget about the truth in that. But the parents said, what, we don't get any coverage? So um, not that I want to make it a racial thing. It may be a racial thing, but, you know, this kind of coverage in a sense, I think, just strengthens the, the police mentality to go bunker on us. And I, that's what really bothers me is the fact that they'll think it's like us and them. If they are not there already, this doesn't help the situation at all. Uh, what about uh, media coverage of the shootings that we've seen? I'm not defending the shootings. Don't get me wrong. It's just that case by case, they bear, I think, a little closer looking at times. I just think the coverage is kind of... Uh, what we used to call in the old days yellow dog journalism, sensational and with a point, not necessarily objective. What's your take on that, Dave? I would tend to agree. You know, I mean, you got a lot of people now saying that these events aren't even actually happening, that they're being staged, you know, that they're, that they're all crisis actors and no one's really being shot and, that it, you know, and uh, there's just so much people have become so jaded and cynical now that anytime anything happens, whether it's a police shooting or a mass casualty event, uh, you immediately have a certain faction of the people jumping up and saying fake, fake, you know, stage crisis actors. And, um, I, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think that the, the police shootings are, are probably, uh, real events for the most part. Um, but, uh, I don't. I don't know that they really. You know. I mean, they they get so much airplay now. You know, even on even on mainstream media, they'll put these videos up on their sites, and they'll just get tens. You know, hundreds of thousands, millions of hits. You know, YouTube is full of them, and um, I it, it it doesn't seem like they're really going out of their way to try to prevent us from seeing this stuff. It, it seems to me more like they want us to see what's going on out there because it, it tends to disempower us, you know? I mean, if, if you see police out there just, just uh, brazenly acting like criminals, you know, serving as judge, jury, and executioner, and, and some of these shootings are clearly just not justified by any stretch of the imagination, and yet there's never any consequences or almost never any consequences for the officers, you know? And... Um, I think to a large extent they want us to see that because it, it puts fear in people and it makes people feel disempowered. It makes people feel like uh, like the situation is hopeless, you know. It's like well, if the police can get away with that in broad daylight and have it broadcast on YouTube to 8 million viewers and still nothing happens, then what power do we really have? And at the same time, uh, the police, you know, police all around the country are watching these videos too, and they're seeing what other officers and departments can get away from, get away with, you know, and so they they feel more empowered to do, you know, to uh, get more, to get ever more aggressive and ever more criminal themselves. So I, you know, to me, I I think in, in to a large degree they kind of want us to see these videos. They want us to be afraid of the police and they want the police to know that they have uh, essentially that they have blanket immunity and they can do whatever they damn well please and, and nothing's really 
there's not going to be any serious repercussions for them for doing that. So that's kind of how I see it. Does that answer your question? No, I, that's why, I mean, look, we, we all don't know. Um, but I don't like the fact that people who, who you know, tune into uh, McDonald News don't come away with that attitude. And and, uh, and honestly, look, I live down here. I'm, I live. I now live in Tampa. My God, and you know, it, it it also entrenches whatever divide there may be between blacks and whites, because obviously whites are associated with the police, blacks, you know, supposedly the perps, and so you kind of feel that there's a little bit of an unstated tension, and you know, it's it's unfortunate. And I guess at this stage of my life, I kind of just you know, I say to myself, it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, but I think there's a point to it, and uh, it's happening in a lot of sectors across the country. And I just don't know how much this country can take losing jobs, um, higher prices, uh, if we're going to start to get into some kind of class and racial strife, and then they also want to flirt with a war in the Middle East. I'm sitting here going, you know, how many times can they kill you? You know, it, it does concern me. Um, at this stage of my life, if the, if the doo-doo hits the oscillator, I mean, I just don't know how much, I, how well I'm going to navigate it. You know, I'm not 30 anymore. So, at uh, uh, any rate, uh, I just think it's a bad trend, and I think it's one that's being manipulated, uh, is meant to be a psyop. Now, having uh, stated that, um, we have something, uh, okay, um, I'm picking this out because there were a couple of comments made, and I think they were interesting. I, I, we probably can't spend a lot of time on it. I mean, Dave, we don't want to be so generous with your time. Um, but it was stated here about an issue with, with Texas moving its gold around, and apparently it stays within the state borders, but they won't put it in the Fed. So I would assume that means state banks. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know this necessarily. Uh, all right, I, I'm. I don't know where he's going with this. Although, I mean, it's it's a valid situation, no doubt about it. I think it's been a little bit overplayed with this Jade Helm thing. But uh, I'm going to just take a leap here, unless he writes something quickly. Whether or not this would be indicative of a, a further <laughs> indicative of, I think, a financial event that we all suspect is going to happen, like we're like sitting on the Damocles sword, and sooner or later we know it's going to drop. Uh, you've seen a lot of, about it. Uh, and I'm just waiting to see if he comes back. Okay, for now. So here's my point. There are a lot of events that are taking place. There's a lot of hubbub about, you know, states and gold, and, and there's not going to be any secession. Forget that. But Let's talk about the situation of an imminent uh, economic collapse in this country, if not in other places. What's your take on the probability of that, and let's just say in a 10-year window? Uh, well, I think there's something definitely coming. Some, 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 some major event is definitely coming down the pike fairly soon, and... Uh, you know they're they're gearing up for that basically you know what I, is the way i see it and um you know i i think they the powers that be believe that at, at some point here very soon in the future they're essentially going to have to declare uh, martial law in some form whether they will call it that or not 
because the people are only going to take so much, you know, and uh, and we've been we've been we've been fed quite a bit lately, and and uh, you know the pressure is definitely on financially in various other ways, and uh, you know at some point the the American people are are not are would you would hope <laughs> are not going to take it lying down. And uh, and so they, you know, they 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 have been working for a very long time to uh, to control that, uh, you know, any sort of possible uprising, any sort of mass uh, massive amount of dissent. And uh, you know, they have all the apparatus in place now to uh, to deal with that. You know, whether it's going to be a financial meltdown or or, or some other precipitating factor, uh, I I have little doubt that that. Something big is, is brewing on the horizon, and uh, and we're, we're going to see a very much a changed world uh, uh, coming in uh, in a fairly short amount of time, I would think, you know. And um, and I, I agree with you, by the way. The the, the videos, the police things, are, are definitely uh, seem to be deliberately designed to uh, to to stir up uh, racial divisions, you know. And you can see that. All you, have, you look at any one of these these videos on YouTube and read through the comments section, and uh, and you'll see you'll, you know you'll see people staking out positions on, on either side. You know, uh, you see a lot of uh, you know uh, presumably largely white people making comments about, well, you know, if you just listen to what the cops tell you, this kind of thing wouldn't happen. You know, <laughs> you just follow directions, you wouldn't get shot. And, you know, other people just 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 completely denouncing you know what they're seeing on the screen and um it it definitely seems designed to uh you know i mean they they want to divide us in as many ways as they can you know i mean it's a divide and conquer strategy right you know it's uh the more they can divide us against ourselves the less uh, likely it is that we're going to realize that that we all have a common enemy and uh, and that we're you know while we're fighting amongst ourselves, we're all getting screwed. Uh, you you had mentioned martial law, but one of the things I've I've put forth is that you may not need it because there are other controls. I mean, if you think about it, to put an entire nation the size of the United States and we'll just deal with the contiguous forty-eight states, that's hard to do. And it, I mean, there's not enough of our own soldiers here not even the National Guard, and there's certainly not enough cops. However, there's other ways of getting around it, and I think that's what's being employed as we speak. Um, I, I, I won't go into everything, but what I see on the horizon are, are things meant to curtail our travel. Um, everything becomes a domestic terrorist event. If you don't get vaccinations, you're a, you're a terrorist. I mean, there's a lot of things there that can happen. But the thing that bothers me, Dave, do you remember the often repeated line from, I guess it was a pastor in Germany, that old thing about when they came for the Catholics, you know, I didn't, you know, we didn't say anything. You, know, you remember that? Yeah. When they yeah, came for yeah. Okay. But here's what bothers me. And this is one of the things that um, I felt was uh, embraced very well by in a book called The Ominous Parallels, The End of Freedom in America by Leonard Peikoff that was published in 1981. But the thing is, what's happening here is the exact same thing that happened in Nazi Germany in this sense. The people are getting behind 
all of the, shall we say, quasi-fascist legislation and moves by the government. The churches are behind it. And I realize now, as what happened in Germany, I believe is happening here, and that is we think we're right, like they thought they were right. God's on our side. Whatever we have to do, let's kill those goddamn Arabs. And my point is, no one resisted because they were all on board. And so what I'm, what I'm asking you is, my problem is that this country is getting Nazified. They don't think it's happening, but I fear that it is, and we're going to find ourselves in a situation much like the Reich. Your take, if you don't mind. Uh, I would tend to agree, actually, yeah. Um, yeah, with everything you just said. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's getting scary out there, you know, the the degree to which uh, the people seem to be willing to go along with, uh, you know, uh, just a more and more overtly fascistic agenda, and uh, and 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 not and and not just not just uh, you know look the other way, but to actually for a lot of people to to embrace it, you know, and uh, support it. And um, that's a scary world, you know, <laughs> to say the least. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have any, uh, any major areas of disagreement with any of that. All right. I'd like I, to share okay. – like can I share a couple comments, Joel? No. no. <laughs> I don't, I'm really enjoying your conversation, but I, I, I would love to jump in here a little bit about the Jade Helm thing. Um, for my research – Okay, Jade Helm 15 has been going on since uh, July 15, supposed to end the middle of September. At the same time, there's Trident 15, which is NATO, and NATO right now is having their largest military exercise ever, along with Israel having its largest military exercise ever, joint exercise going on. Then you got the Philippines, which is, is very interesting about the Philippines. Not only does it supposedly have the second or third largest gold reserves in the world, also if you look at the Sea of China and its huge oil reserves, and you got, we all know this at this point. Anybody who's on this show knows that war is scripted from a long time. That this is no, there's, <laughs> there's nothing organic about any of this stuff. You look at Jade Helm 15, and a lot of folks feel that this is uh, strictly about military law. You know, there's a, a rumor going on right now that uh, and, uh, uh, a town in Texas that everyone's been chipped. So far, there is no evidence of any of that, of course. And if people were all chipped, you know, people would be, you know, you would be hearing about that. Uh, so you have all these vicious, the, the, the rumor mill is just ripe. And by the way, my fellow Christians, you guys are actually some of the worst guilty at pushing all these fables. You really got to stop pushing things until you get the evidence. So in other words, I like Keith and I like um, uh, David because they're willing to do the research before they actually say definitively this is that is it's this way. So but going back to what I'm saying about when it comes to Jade Helm and all that, we look at all this that's ramping up. There is going to be, and it's no surprise, and we can do some research, that uh, this century is the century uh, that we're going to ramp up wars. We look at the Albert Pike's plan, uh, you know, um, 
of the Third World War. I believe we're actually probably already in it, but uh, you just see this just the next phase of it. Will there be ramping up of, um, of becoming more of a police state? Well, duh. I mean, look over there. They're militarizing the police force. So, I mean, that's just the way it is going to be. That's our future. And that's just not speculation. You can see it happening right before your eyes. They're getting uh, military-grade weapons, uh, tanks, et cetera. Uh, they're obviously used for us, not for somebody else. But you look at these um, false flag, quote-unquote false flag operations, I think it's too sweeping of a statement, but you have these stage events. Uh, the necessity of all governments throughout history of terrorizing their own citizenship. The problem is that you and I have grown up in America and not being told the truth about how things really are run and, and finally being woken up by guys like Keith Hansen, a.k.a. Evergoth, and, and Dave McGowan, is that, uh, you know what, the more and more you look into it, you realize it's been our, in our, whole, our whole life has been this way. So a lot of these, like especially when you're talking about the national media, a lot of these are really staged events. Since uh, 2013, new legislation has been passed, making it more readily accessible and easy to do. You look at uh, the federal education, was it the, sorry, this little pause here. But there's, I just posted on, online, folks, it's called the uh, FLETC, it's the Federal Law Enforcement uh, Training Center. If you look at the, the shooting in Charleston, flat out, that's what it was. And it's not just an assumption. Anybody, it'd be, the government itself was having an active shooter training uh, a, a program going on uh, or session during that same time at the same location. No, I mean the guy, the priest who was supposedly killed, was hanging out with Hillary Clinton that day. Ends up being the friend of and buddy of of all people, Mr. Obama. They end up all of a sudden sending. $27 million to the folks that were supposedly shot in their families. This, There are real fake incidents. And and all you have to do is ask yourself, now I live in Toledo, Ohio. I, they call it the heart of it all. I mean, I, I can tell you stories, folks. Uh, if you want to know what it's like to live in fascist America uh, and you want to know how easy it is to get pulled over and uh, how many cops, uh, we outnumber cops to people more than you ever imagine. It's been that way for a long time. Plus, we're the heartland of the KKK. A lot of people think that the headquarters of KKK is in the South. No, folks, it's in Indiana and Northwest Ohio. Probably didn't know that, but now you do. You can look that up. I know exactly what it's like to live in a fascist part of the country. It's been that way for a very, very long time. Uh, my point in all that is, in this, the part of it all, that's the nickname that Ohio has, I'm an hour away from Detroit, 25, 45 minutes from Ann Arbor, uh, an hour and a half from Cleveland, just down the road from Columbus, Indianapolis, and of course, as a train conductor going west to Chicago, every time I went there, dozens of people being murdered, you never hear anything about that. If you do hear something about it at this point on the national television, the national media, guys like Alex Jones, good chance it's probably at this point uh, a uh, staged event. And I know that sounds cynical, but 
we've been living with it our lives. Um, really have. And we just didn't know. <laughs> I don't know how you gentlemen feel about that. I know. Uh, maybe I'm sounding a little more extreme, even <laughs> interested in YouTube. But, you know, I've learned from you, then adding on to it, I realized, wow, yeah, things like this really have, have been happening all along, and we have been buffaloed by... There's an unholy alliance between the police force, the, obviously uh, the political system, and the media. And they have absolutely no problem lying to you. In fact, it's absolutely necessary for all governments to terrorize their people. That's how they control us, through fear. What else do they actually have? I don't know how you feel about that. I would agree. Sorry. <laughs> I definitely agree with the control through fear uh, scenario. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that, that's been that's been the operating principle for a very long time. You know, if you if you put enough fear into people, they're going to run to Big Brother for protection, and uh, and and they they're going to they're going to welcome that uh, quote unquote protection. You know, I was also about the gun the gun issue because the gun issue there's something fishy about it. Okay, they have the power at this point, they just stop selling us guns. They really do. Yeah, they still sell us guns. I, I know it I, probably I, is, it is part of the issue, but how much of it is it really uh, about not selling guns to us, but once again, going back to fear, traumatization of this, the populace and saying, we're going to take your guns. How many, now, it's been how many years now? I mean, it's been most of my adult life I've been hearing this. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> maybe I'm just taking it out of, you know, maybe I'm being too cynical about it, but I, it is a very useful tool to lay over the heads of others, especially the patriots, that, hey, we're going to take away your guns. Not in the end, are they going to take away your guns? Probably. I'd be mean, every other place. But uh, when that's going to happen, heck, I don't know. Nobody else does. You know? If it will. It's really due to their advantage to have guns on the street. Look at it, you get rid of a, you, you know, if you get rid of twenty to thirty thousand people a year of unwanted people in your country, and you don't have to do it, have your own citizenship do it. Hey, all the better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of agree. You know, I mean, I, I know after every one of these events, uh, the, the battle cry goes up from various avenues of the internet that oh, it's, this is another gun grab. This is another, uh, this is another attempt to. to uh, justify uh, grabbing all the guns, you know, and I've long been skeptical of that because, well, for one thing, we've seen event after event after event happen in recent years, and, you know, every time, uh, you know, certain factions of the Internet community will say uh, it's a gun grab, but uh, that never seems to happen, you know, and, and in fact, what normally happens is exactly the opposite, is you get all of these people on the Internet radio uh, ranting and raving about how it, it's a gun grab and, you know, you got to get out and buy your guns and ammo now because you won't be able to exactly. tomorrow. And invariably exactly. what happens is that gun and ammunition sales just skyrocket and uh, and then no new legislation is passed and the net result is that there's that many more guns on the street than, you know. So if that's the strategy... It certainly isn't working very well. It's been very counterproductive for many, many years now, and, and you'd have to believe that the government was run by complete idiots who, who can't see that and keep doing the same thing over and over again 
knowing that the net result is going to actually be more guns being dumped on the streets, you know. And and then there's, you know, the question of uh, the militarization of the police, you know. If if the quote-unquote criminals have automatic weapons, well, then the cops need tanks and grenade launchers, you know. And, and it just, you know, keeps escalating further and further. The more heavily armed the people are, the more heavily armed the police need to be. And, uh, and so that is fed directly into this... Uh, you know the whole militarization of the police that we that we've seen. Um, Absolutely, so I, I, I've long been. And you look at oh, the black ahead. market. If we look at the black market. A lot of people think the black market is disappeared. I'm from Toledo, Ohio. If you do some studying about Toledo, Ohio, and the mafia, I mean, I, 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 I never realized how shady of a town. You know, it's not only did uh, Bob Denver said that he spent a week one day in Toledo, but it turns out that Toledo has a lot of pretty shady things that it's notorious for. And one of the things is when it came to the, uh, you know, back in the day when the, uh, was it the banned alcohol and all that, that all of a sudden Toledo became this mecca of the, of the mafia, of the mob. Uh, you had the Italians and the, the, uh, and the, uh, the Irish and every other town, every other house. Now we're talking the 1920s all the way up to the, the 40s. Every other house had their own distillery. I mean, I'm telling you that the the black market never went away ever. That's not just about drugs, or but you know you look at guns and all that kind of stuff. Oh, it's okay, so the outlaw, you're not allowed in these in these certain areas to actually sell guns. Yet it's super easy to get a gun, and they let that happen. And there's, you know, it, it all comes back. You know, you two gentlemen always talk about this. I hear you. It all comes back to the money. And there's so much money to be made in all this. Whether it's, you know, you know if you're, say, you're all these apostate evangelical Christians saying that the world's going to end tomorrow and that you're going to take your guns away. Well, you know what? They make a lot of money doing that. You look at the, the, the mob, they make a lot of money. Even the gun sellers, the government, everybody makes money selling these stories, perpetuating these stories. There's, there's, I never realized how much profit there is in promoting fear. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. I really didn't. I don't think that way. I never knew that. But it's. Uh, I live in a. Uh, can in I speak a to this? Absolutely, please. <laughs> no, the reason I'm saying it is because there is something also. There's a theme going on in the chat room, and I think. Uh, and Dave, you, you know, we ought to. We ought to. I tell you what. Can we just pause for a second and just tell people where they can buy your books and what's going on here? Would that be a good time to do that? We haven't done it yet. Let's do it. Let's keep on doing it. Do it all throughout the night, this evening, please. Well, I mean, I should, what's that? Oh, my. Dave, you've got your what's book on sale. A lot of people aren't really maybe aware of all that you've done. I don't know. But, I mean, uh, can we direct them that that's still going on? And there's also the, uh, the donation fund as well? Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm doing direct sales of my book. I have been since it uh, came out, and uh, I've gotten just just tremendous response, and and uh, still going pretty strong actually. And uh, yeah, I'm selling uh, signed copies through my website, which is the Center for an Informed America at uh, what the heck is my website? Um, Dave'sWeb.cnchost.com. Kind of a mouthful, but uh, if you Google either my name, Dave, Dave or David McGowan, or the Center for an Informed America, uh, it should come up as the first link there. And um, yeah, from that uh, from that page, there are links to a page where 
you can uh, order direct uh, signed copies of my book, and then there's another page where I am uh, doing a little little bit of fundraising to uh, hopefully uh, offset uh, the substantial uh, medical costs that I am now incurring. It's the uh, the Save Dave campaign, <laughs> hopefully. Um, so uh, so yeah, there's that, and I, I'm also. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash weird scenes inside the canyon. All is one word with no spaces and no punctuation. And uh, that's where I'm, I, uh, I haven't been nearly as active on there as I had been previously, but I'm still somewhat active on there. And that's where uh, I post uh, various other, anything that crosses my desk that's, that's related to either weird scenes or any of my other uh, my, my the rest of my body of work <clears throat> that I uh, put up uh, put up stuff there. So uh, so for anyone yeah, interested in in, uh, in following my work, uh, you can go there. And uh, you know for anyone interested in supporting my work, you, yeah, you go to my website and uh, where I have the books uh, for sale, as well as the uh, the little fundraising page explaining my uh, my medical condition and uh, and why I now have to pander for donations from my fans, although I don't really like to do it, but uh, unfortunately, it's uh, the reality of my current situation. So, um, uh, on the subject of guns, by the way, are you guys familiar with uh, these, uh, what they call smart weapons, that have been very quietly marketed for the last uh, several years now? These really expensive high-end uh, rifles that have these uh, computerized scopes and whatnot. Have you? Um, oh yeah. With that you talking about? They have like a guided bullet, so even if you're off, off target, that the bullet actually guides itself to the target. You know. Well, the gun will only fire. The, the 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 gun will only fire when the crosshairs are perfectly lined up on the target, and uh, supposedly amazingly accurate. Uh, Somebody that's never picked up a gun in his life can pick off a target from like two or three hundred yards away. I mean, can shoot with the precision of the best trained military even, snipers. You know, people that have had years of training. It's even scarier than that? that. It's even scarier than that. They now have a, a gun that the bullets are guided. So you know once you, so yeah so you, if you lock it on target and even though you shoot so say you shoot and you actually shoot off target because now it's locked in on target it's kind of like the drone thing they have they have uh-huh. high power it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's almost like an M50 where where literally the bullet say you shoot it the target moves off target you know 50 yards away the actual bullet tracks the target. I had not heard of that, but I, I yeah, I knew that they had the ones with the uh, the high tech scopes that basically you you just pull the trigger and move the move the gun around until the uh, crosshairs line up, and then the gun the gun knows when to fire and uh, will fire with this amazing accuracy. And uh, you know, people have pointed out that these these guns uh, they have no real purpose as a hunting rifle because they're too big and heavy. And besides, they take all the sport out of it, you know? I mean, there's not much sport in shooting, a, shooting a, your game with, you know? I mean, it's a, hunting is supposed to be a sport to some degree. I mean, I don't really view it as a 
for it, but it's supposed to be. And, and it's certainly not a rifle for home defense. You know, you're not going to lug out this big, heavy you know, thing with a scope and all that. And the, really the only purpose of it is for killing humans from a long distance away, you know. And they even have, they even have iPads integrated into these damn things. So you can film, you can you can take still shots and videos of your kill shots, and then instantly upload them onto social media. You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. Why don't we market those to the general population? You know, and yet nobody, the government and law enforcement agencies and whatnot, have had nothing to say about that. You know, and. I mean, if we really want to get the guns off the streets, then why are we allowing these ridiculously high-tech weapons that can turn anyone into a sniper on the market, you know? It's just, well, it's, it's because uh, they don't want to get the guns off the street. That's the whole point. They don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing to me that they, that they are marketing these things to the general population. You know, anybody that's got enough money can buy one of these can't fail sniper rifles and uh you know go out and pick off targets from a couple hundred yards away uh, you would think the police would be up in arms about that you know i mean would you think the police would be a little nervous about you know uh the, the general public having access to weapons like that it's just so you know it, it definitely flies in the face of the notion that the goal is to uh to get the weapons off the streets when, when they're now manufacturing more and more dangerous and, and high-tech weapons that, that seem to be designed specifically for killing other people, you know? Hey, Dave, I had an uncle that said, hunting will be a sport when they give guns to the deer and the bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least um, it gives them a little more sporting <laughs> chance than, yeah. and you know, then radar guided bullets and, and computerized scopes and I mean that's just well, yeah oh this is a sport wow look I bagged a deer today oh did you wow that's impressive well, you know <laughs> I want to run something by you real quick and I and I just want to throw this out like I said in the time what what has been going on in the chat room but well, yeah with all this stuff about shooting and stuff it's, it reminds me of the line from Hunter S Thompson when he wrote an article about some kind of like marlin fishing contest off the coast of uh, Belize. He goes with the way things are going now. He goes. It, he goes. It's about as as uh, you know. It, it takes about as much uh, skill as taking a fish out of the water and spray painting it and throwing it back in again. <laughs> so, anyway, I thought that was fun. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, I, I think that we have to think differently about the way things are going to be. If we're going to be taken over, it's not likely going to be by our own. But if it is, or even if it isn't. Whatever's going to come down upon us is not going to, probably not going to use bullets if you catch my drift. With what's available, if anybody ever saw the Project 2020 white paper that was issued by the Air Force back in around 2002 or 2003, their, quote, non-lethal weaponry that was bulletless, um, believe me, it'll get the job done, and only the Yokies are going to be going around shooting their guns off. So we have no, I mean... The day for overthrows and revolutions using guns is over with for us. Secondly, if you get a chance, anybody, read the book, The Defense of Terrorism and Communism, A Reply to Karl Kotsky by Trotsky. Um, what's interesting is that, and I've made hay about this a couple of times, terrorism in old dictionaries is 
um, intrigues by the state, the government, on its people. If you look at dictionaries post-2000, 2001, terrorism is now defined as intrigues by the people upon the government. And you, go ahead and take a look. I mean, there's a reason why this is happening. The reason I bring it up is this. Um, communism was set up by the same people who set up capitalism and socialism. All three were laboratories. Well, the time is coming now when it's all going to get melded. And we're headed for, call it communism, call it socialism, call it communitarianism, call it totalitarianism. That's where we're headed. And it's happening in every country, and it's happening here. And so now you take a look and you find out that you not only have problems or enemies without, but you have enemies within. And that's where we are now. And so really the old thoughts about how to combat a, a crooked government or military I hate to say this, but if anybody can prove me wrong, what I'm saying is forget it. It's not going to happen. I mean, what it's going to be is going to be, and I can't see any way around it. Um, and these notions of, you know, militias turning, uh, forget it, man. It's done with. It's just done with. And I think we have to embrace that. Now, you may think I'm wrong, but at any rate, now, saying what I've said, a lot of people in the chat room have been talking about this. Uh, we heard uh, some recordings, Michael, that you played with regard to this. And if we could lump them together, I'd like to throw it to Dave. A lot of people say that some of these events were total hoaxes. I think some of them were partial hoaxes. But the point is, it's got to be a point. So what did necessarily the Murrow Building bombing have as a benefit? Who benefited? What's the reason? What about um, the Boston bombing? What about Sandy Hook? What about the Charleston shooting? And all these places also, by the way, seem to have had exercises within a week of, the, of this terror event. So, I mean, if you don't mind, David, I mean, I know you've done a lot of work on it. If this is the case, and we know the government's involved, what is the point and where are we going to go with this? I think it, one, of the, one of the main goals is to acclimate us to accept uh, an ever more militarized uh, police presence and an ever more controlled society. You know, if you look at uh, the aftermath of the Boston Marathon, for example, I mean, they basically put uh, they put a large swath of the city under martial law, you know, going doing no-knock searches and shelter in place and, and uh, just rolling out just, just you know, this massive amount of manpower and, and military equipment, uh, all to catch a couple of teenage kids, you know. <laughs> and, um, and, we've seen, and we've seen it in, in other cases, too, like Christopher Dorner, you know, the case here in California, which, which, which to me seems like a, just a completely manufactured event uh, that was used to justify just this, you know, what looked like a... a a dress rehearsal for, uh, you know, a form of martial law, far more militarized, uh, you know, and to acclimate us to, to where we not only accept seeing armored personnel carriers rolling down the streets, but we actually welcome them and cheer for them. You know, we were shown footage of the people in Boston coming out of their houses just, like, celebrating and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. cheering the police on as our saviors. And, oh, thank you for protecting us from this 19-year-old unarmed kid, you know, that, <laughs> that was hiding in a boat or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. 
And um, you know, to me, that that's that's a that's a that's a key element. You know, I don't know if that's the, the only goal. You know, I mean, a lot of times there's, there's multiple goals being pursued, but uh, you know, I think that that's certainly a large part of it is to uh, to condition us to to not only accept that, but to to welcome it as as, the, as our new reality. You know, to where it would just be perfectly normal to walk out to get your morning paper in the morning and there's a, you know, armored personnel carrier going down the street with some guys with M16s poking their heads out of the top of it. And, and, uh, you know, that's just a normal, uh, normal day in LA, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just to condition us to accept a, a much more militarized and much more controlled, uh, you know, social environment. Well, the thing I've wondered about, because much has been made about the elaborateness of some of these setups, and all right now I'll say, okay, but here's, here's what gets me, and that is I don't know that the American public have a, has a memory that you know, holds on to it. It's like they're off to the next thing. So if you're going to go to this extent to, to throw these uh, events, and I mean, I think it's a little odd, like I said, that there were always some kind of exercise going on. That, that to me stinks to high heaven. But it's just that with all that the elaborateness of it, you know, does it really stay in the American psyche? I mean, it's almost like it just disappears because everybody's got this like read act, you know, random access memory only thing, and it's gone. Do they really remember? Does it have to continue to be stoked? Is that happening with another event and another event, or are they building up to some kind of crescendo? I don't doubt it. I just don't know if it's being wasted on a public that doesn't have an attention span of an ice cube. They do seem to come at shorter and shorter intervals, you know. It's, it's uh, you know, I mean, I, I haven't had much time to, to do much research in writing at all lately, but, uh, you know, when I was, it was, it was, it was like reaching the point where where you didn't really you know you you don't have time to even fully process and and analyze uh, one event before a new one pops up you know and uh, so it, it, you're just you're just constantly chasing these stories and and not having enough time to even fully digest them and process them and analyze them and make sense of them before the next one pops up and and. Uh, you know, it's like constantly keeping the the people off guard to some extent, I guess. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we have such short attention spans these days that uh, that they they need to just keep uh, to just keep constantly pounding away yeah. at it. Um, yeah, I don't know. All right, can I offer can I offer a, a different point of view? Uh, let's let's forget about us. Well, let's, let's, let's just imagine for a moment that they don't even care what us, the, you know, the people, think or do. Uh, Dave, you did some great research on the Boston bombing, and uh, then you had that presentation that you, you gave, the, the, the slight presentation on Midnight Caravan, and then amazingly got sick, but we'll go down. I'll forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, a lot. A lot of people have reminded <laughs> me of that. A lot of people have drawn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have drawn connections there. But if you look at, especially this year alone, it really they have really ramped up. If you look at the Charleston shooting, uh, anybody who's done any kind of, which I have, and I know others who have been doing it, it's clear that it was an actor's active shooter's drill. Then the next one 
literally was it a week or two later was in Nashville. It's clearly overwhelming evidence that it was another staged event. I mean, they got literally aerial photos of the supposed victims and their cardboard cutouts laying on the ground saying that these are the people that they shot. And you can look, you can see. And the, the perpetrator is this um, uh, Arabic guy who looks amazingly look like a, a, a young Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. And I'm not making this up. Come <laughs> look it up. They, got, they have pictures of him. He's supposed to be a boxer and, and a wrestler. They got pictures of him posing just like Robert De Niro. He's got the mole, right, like Robert De Niro. He's got the smile like him. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's that movie was back in 1970s, and now it's 2015, and it was a couple of generations later, and people don't remember. Ah, let's, just, let's just put Robert De Niro in it. I'm not making it up. Uh, you put the next one in, it's down in... Louisiana and that shooting in the theater and it flares once again the people involved and all that it was another <clears throat> active shooters exercise I think what really is happening is they're just doing their exercises and the media is involved with it and they're exploiting it because it's the media and that's run by the CIA everybody knows this by now um, there's no question about it the government runs the mainstream media it's not conspiracy <laughs> it's just the way it is it's always has been that way and that you know they're just working on their perfecting their exercises and that you know is a to titillate or, or is a way to you know you like got to sell the news it's all about money the fact of the matter yeah, is there's, there's there's a, lot, the, a lot of these cases definitely reek lately i got have to agree you know the the, the one in texas too where the uh the, the the Muslim cartoon contest or whatever the heck it was uh, that was being held there, that right. one. And the, the the supposed prison break in upstate New York where these uh, two guys got access to heavy-duty uh, construction equipment and were able to cut their way out of a, through, uh, you know, thick steel and concrete and all this nonsense and supposedly escaped, thereby requiring all of upstate New York to be put under a military drill, you know. it's uh, There's a definite pattern to these things, and, uh, and, and the responses seem just way too scripted. You know, they don't seem like spontaneous responses to an unexpected event. It's like... Uh, it's like all the all the chess pieces are in place and ready to go, you know, before the event uh, occurs, yeah, yeah. And, and the reaction is just very swift and very predictable, you know. Yeah, and the real incidents, let's face it, they they never show it. When have they ever showed any of the real incidents? Look at them. Just think of your own hometown news. How often do they actually show what's really going on? They do, and but they don't. They, it's the names. They don't show the bodies, and they don't show any of the. It's they hide the real stuff. It's, you know, you look at this, what's going on, it's just simply they're working on perfecting their craft. And it seems to be that a huge part of what all governments, it's not uniquely America, because, you know, as we know, uh, this, this goes way back since this country. Uh, these, quote, unquote, false flags are these uh, staged events is they're just perfecting their craft. And uh, we are just, you know, the audience being entertained and shown, you know, and if we can traumatize and 
cause the public to fear, then great, all the better. All the more you need Big Brother. You know what I mean? But it's, uh, I, I really, at this point, when you start to look at I mean, they're so sloppy about it. And you brought this up before, Dave. How could you be so sloppy about it? Well, because, you know, yes, they, it doesn't really matter to them. You know, it, it, it's like, yeah, it's like they don't even care. It's like they've either grown so arrogant with uh, the success of these operations that they just don't care anymore or, or to some degree, they want us to see through the haze, you know, or they want some of us to, you know, and, and again, it, it kind of promotes feelings of powerlessness, you know, if you can see this going on, you saying this is just so obviously fake, and, you know, <laughs> and yet they can get away with it in broad daylight, and, uh, you know, and well, only a handful of people are going to, are going to, are going to question it, and they're going to be labeled uh, kooks, you know. Conspiracy theorists, you're right. It's just, you know, the, the greatest form of censorship is not the government, it's our peers. Let's face it. Yeah, you know, how many times? Agree. That's, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, so many people are, are afraid to, to uh, even when they do wake up, they're, they're afraid to speak out because they don't want to be ostracized and, and mark, you know, they don't want to be, you know, um, well, you yeah. will be. You know, <laughs> Dave, you will be. Yeah, you. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. You don't need. You don't need yeah. the government to do it. Your own peers will do it. You know, the people in your church, the people, your friends that you have a beer with, uh, the people, your coworkers, they'll do it for them. It's 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 proven. It's uh, it's just the way it is. This way it's always been. It's been this way for not just now, but for. Looking like if you if you go back for us in history, you start thinking for thousands of years has been like this. We are our best. Yeah, um, I know. You try to tell people, but it's <laughs> but it's so obvious. All you got to do is go on YouTube and watch a couple of videos. It's so obvious, and all, they just roll their eyes and you know smirk and uh, you know it's uh, yeah it's. You know, I, <laughs> Trust me, I've, way, I've experienced it many, many, many times, you know. And I, I'm it's, not negating uh, the fact that things are ramping up and there's some big plan. I don't know because I'm not in the inside. None of us on this call are in the inside. We're not insiders. We don't know what the heck they're really up to. All you can do is just start using a little bit of this yeah, critical thinking and realize, you know, uh, would, if, would I do this? If I was running the show, would I be doing what they're doing? And you're like, think about it, because, you know, this is the best way of ruling is through anonymity, uh, being anonymous, not ever being noticed. Let the actors be up front. But the people, be yeah. up, you know what I mean? And yeah, you know, I tell people, I, I, hey, I don't know exactly what's going on. I didn't receive a copy of the script. You know, they they didn't include they didn't include me on the mailing list when that went out. You know, all I can do is the same as everybody else is look at it objectively and and try to decide you know what seems the most logical explanation and uh, the most logical motivation for why these things are happening. But uh, you know, none of none of us have an absolute lock on the truth. You know. All we can do is, is uh, you know, give it our best shot and, uh, you know, just uh, use our brains that we've been given and, uh, you know, shut off the TV and, and uh, try to try to come up with a, 
an analysis of our own that seems to fit the facts better than than what we're being spoon fed, you know. Right. Anyway, I just noticed what time it is. I got to uh, I got to get get going here pretty quickly. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to be on here well, quite the, as long as. Uh, <laughs> this 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 is how my show is. You can ask Keith. It's pretty much as long as you. Wild can. and woolly. <laughs> Something like that. It's pretty easy going. This show. We don't really. We're all in. You know, we all seem to be uh, brothers in the same cause and, and, on, and pretty much on the same page. You know, may disagree a little yeah. bit here and there, but nothing significant that that means much really in the day. So, <laughs> you know, what I mean? so. But uh, I, I would remiss not to go back to this because I know that not only myself but other people have been extremely concerned about you, Dave. And I know that we you don't know me from Adam and. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of us we've been following you, um, pay, you know, learning from you, and uh, you know, the past three months, and uh, I, I, and if you don't want to go down this road, I don't blame you. You don't have to. But it would I, it would not be appropriate with me now going back to what we mentioned a little bit because you did bring it up. I brought it up. You know, after that show that you had, an amazing presentation. A three-hour presentation, and you're really if you want if people if you want to really. If, you watched that presentation that Dave did about the Boston bombing. Uh, your whole view on what goes on as far as these staged events will change, and you will become much more critical in your thinking whenever you see these things. And it's really has opened a lot of people's eyes since that show, believe it or not, even though Sandy Hook and Boston bombing had been talked quite a bit, but no one ever really did it the way you did it. And, um, so I, I had, you know, then you got sick right after that. Um, yeah, uh, I did. Yeah. What, and, uh, and you had, you have, you had the same mind I have, and that Keith has. There has to be that point. It's like, did you think there might be any kind of coincidence? There's a kind of incidence. There's some kind of. Are you ever going to be going back first to, to Midnight Caravan again? Let's <laughs> put <it> that way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I you know I I really don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, the, uh, I I have been remarkably healthy my entire adult life, uh, as I've mentioned uh, before to various people. Um, you know, I, I healthcare-wise, I've lived kind of a charmed life. You know, before this, I had never been uh, admitted to a hospital as an adult. I'd never I'd never had any surgical procedures done had never been reliant on any kind of long-term, uh, you know, uh, prescription med plan, never had a serious in- illness, never had a serious injury, never even broken a bone in my body. You know, I just, my health was always something that I just took for granted and um, never had to worry about. And then suddenly, like five months ago, I just started getting really, really sick and uh, getting all these symptoms and uh, that I couldn't make heads or tails of. And, uh, you know, being a guy, I didn't initially go to a doctor because I've always been able to just, you know, any anything that comes along, minor illnesses and whatnot, I've always been able to just work through them and shake them off and, and uh, you know, been fine. And, uh, you know, so I figured, well, you know, this is whatever it is, it'll pass. And, and uh, But it just kept getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And uh, so I, I eventually did end up going to my primary care physician. Uh, I went, I think, like two or three times. And, uh, you know, they, they examined me and did some blood work and uh, stool sample and various other things. And 
and they could not figure out what was going on. And, uh, you know, I was getting more and more worried because uh, I just could not seem to, not only could I not shake off the the symptoms, but I kept seeming to take on new symptoms and it just kept getting like progressively worse. And uh, so finally I woke up one Monday and I said, you know, I got to get to the bottom of this. This is just really, you know, because it was really beginning to uh, to, to get to where, I, you know, I, I was very, Concerned that it was, uh, you know, it was something more serious than I originally thought, and I took myself into emergency care, to a, uh, an urgent care uh, treatment facility, and uh, they spent an hour or so examining me and running some tests, and then just kind of as an afterthought, um, the uh, the doctor said, "Well, you know, you, you've been a smoker for quite a few years, so I want to, I want to run a do a chest X-ray on you. You know, I don't think I don't think that's you know what what we're looking at, but you know just just so we can rule it out. <clears throat> and so uh, he sent me down the hall for a chest X-ray, and then back to the exam room. And uh, like 20 minutes later, that he comes strolling in the room, and his entire demeanor had changed uh, from the from the second he walked in that room. I knew something was not going. The the news was not going to be good. Just I mean, he just completely changed, and uh, he seemed to be just sort of very anxious and sort of fumbling for words and like he didn't know, quite know what to say. And I had driven myself in there, you know, because I just figured it's just, you know, just a medical appointment. He'll tell me what's going on and I'll come home and take care of it, you know. And and so he's kind of looking around the room like he's hoping that some relative is going to magically appear or something, you know, <laughs> so he doesn't, you know, I, I, I kind of felt bad for the guy really because, you know, here's this guy comes in for, for a, you know, a checkup to try to see what the heck's going on, and now all of a sudden he's got to drop this huge bombshell on me, you know. And so, uh, like I say, he's just completely changed, and, and he comes over and he sits, a, sits down uh, right across from me and reaches over and puts his hand on my knee, and I'm just thinking, oh, boy, this isn't going to be good. And uh tells me, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to tell you this, but uh, it looks to me like you have uh, advanced lung cancer. And I was just absolutely floored. Just never in my wildest dreams did I ever even think of that as a possibility. Uh, just never crossed my mind whatsoever, you know, even though I have been a smoker for a long time. But like I said, just, I've been remarkably healthy. You know, I've had the luck of the Irish, as they say. And uh, he tells me, you know, I said, well, are you sure? And he said, well, you know, we can't be... 100% sure, you know, based on just an x-ray, but, uh, you know, he said, I, I wouldn't even throw, the, normally I wouldn't even throw that word out there, you know, based on one x-ray, but uh, it's really not, not looking good. And uh, he basically told me that I needed to get myself checked into a hospital immediately for additional testing and to get some kind of treatment plan going. And uh, that evening I was checked into the hospital and, um, and for the next three days, they uh, were running tests, all kinds of tests. They did a CT scan, MRI, and a bone scan, and biopsy, and I don't even know what all. And uh, as uh, as those uh, as that week wore on, the news just got worse and worse and worse. You know, they admitted me, telling me that I very likely had lung cancer. But the next day, they were telling me that it had spread to my liver. The next day, they were telling me that it had spread throughout my bones and then the next day they were telling me that they were concerned that it had spread to my brain 
although uh, that was the one good news that I got that week was uh, was that my brain scan was clear, but uh, it was small consolation <laughs> to say the least. And uh, you know, I, I checked in on Monday, and by that Friday, they were they did a surgical procedure to put an uh, an infusion port in my chest. And uh, by Friday evening, I was already starting my first round of chemo sessions after four days, you know. And so, I mean, I literally went from living a relatively normal life one day to four or five days later being told that I had uh, had incurable lung cancer and that I needed to start treatment, like, immediately if I wanted to stay alive. And... um and of course, I was in massive pain that, during that week, so they were pumping dilated into my IV line like every two hours. So I was just, you know, pretty much in a daze. The whole, the whole thing just seemed just—it didn't even seem real. It just seemed surreal, like just some long, hazy dream. Um, but unfortunately, it was not. And um, so, uh, yeah, they did the first round of chemo uh, in the hospital there. Um, three consecutive days of infusions and then uh, sent me home a day or two later and now I've uh, done uh, three more sessions uh, on an outpatient basis and I go in uh, Monday for uh, for my fifth uh, to start my fifth round and, and then I have one more in three weeks after that which will be my sixth and, uh, and final round um, but uh, you know that that's it's not going to be the end of it, unfortunately. Um, you know, but uh, they told me that uh, the most they can do, the most any any patient, the most they'll do on any patient is six uh, rounds, and then they need to take a break because it just takes too too great a toll on the body. The cumulative effects of it is uh, pretty devastating to your body. So. Um, so basically, I got two more rounds, one next week, and then uh, one uh, three weeks after that, and then I then I take like a two month break, and then they uh, do some more scans to see where we're at, and uh, take it from there, see if there you know any any further treatments that can be done, or 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 what what exactly is going to be the best course of action. But uh, they have not painted a very rosy picture, to say the least. Um, it's a uh, it's a small cell lung cancer. It's 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 extremely aggressive. It moves very very quickly, and uh, you know my situation was not not at all unusual. They told me that, that it's not not unusual at all for it to spread to uh, not only the liver and bones but into the brain before it's even detected. And you know by the time you're even diagnosed, uh, it's it's too late because it's just basically taken over your entire body. And um, so that's where I'm at right now, basically, is uh, is uh, two-thirds of the way through my initial chemo treatments and then uh, reevaluate to, to see uh, what, if anything, can, can be done after that. But uh, they've, they've made it very clear that it's not curable. You know, they've told me it's treatable. They can... They can treat it to prolong my life and, and to some extent improve the quality of my life, but uh, but they've uh, they haven't really pulled any punches in uh, you know emphasizing that that it's uh, it's not curable and it's not a you know according to them it's not a fight that can be won. But uh, I haven't given up. I have not. You know, I mean, you hear all this 
you know, you hear all the time about people beating the odds, you know, now and then, and, you know, everybody has a story to tell about someone that was told that they have a month to live, and 10 years later, they're still going strong, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep my head up and try to remain optimistic and hope that, you know, I'm going to be one of the very, very rare success stories, but, uh, the reality is that it's uh, it's it's a formidable foe, and uh, it's very aggressive, super aggressive. It moves very very quickly. He told me that I probably only had it for like six months, and in, in six months' time, it had. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, on the one hand, I've been a smoker for forty years, so it's kind of hard for me to point point the finger elsewhere and say, yeah, somebody poisoned me, you know, because I have been a smoker for 40 years. If I was not a smoker, then it would be very, very suspicious, obviously. Um, but I will say that if, if the government has the ability to weaponize cancer, which I don't doubt that they do, actually, uh, this would certainly be the type of cancer that they would be probably focused on because once it's introduced into the body, it moves very, very quickly and very aggressively and uh, has virtually a 0% survival rate. It's, uh, it's a very, very brutal and aggressive cancer. And, um, you know, so uh, if they have a way of introducing it into the body, then... You know, it, it, it would be a very, very effective weapon, to say the least. So um, the timing is certainly suspicious, you know. I mean, even though I'm a smoker, I've smoked for 40 years and it never had any adverse effects on my health before. My doctors were always amazed that, you know, that, uh, that it didn't seem to be having any effect on me. And then suddenly out of the blue, uh, just within a matter of, of months, uh, my health just went straight to hell. and um, so, you know, the timing and the speed with which it, it acts is, is, uh, raises alarm bells for me, but, you know, like I say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a smoker. I can't deny that. And, um, so, you know, um, maybe I brought it on myself. Maybe I didn't. I, I don't really know. I, I have no way of saying, I know there's a lot of speculation out there on the internet about it and you know which I understand I you know I pretty much knew that was coming you know um and uh but you know I I I I really don't know I really can't say whether it's uh completely a, a natural occurrence or not um I'm sure that it will be debated on the internet for a long time to come and um I I I really don't know you know I uh yeah, I, I I don't know what to say about that, but um, well, I'm going to keep should... fighting. I'm going to fight it the best I can, and um, you know, I'm going to fight for to stay on this planet for uh, as many as as long as I conceivably can. You know, I have three dot my, my both of my parents are still living. I have three daughters. You know, I got I have people that are depending on me. You know, people that. Uh, kind of need me around, you know, and, and not including all of my devoted fans around the world who uh, keep telling me that, that I need to be around. So, uh, you know, I'm a fighter, always have been. You know, I'm a lot tougher than I look. And uh, before this happened, I was in fantastic physical health, so I'm a little better equipped to to deal with it than, than a lot of people in this position. But uh, it's it's 
it's going to be a tough fight, and uh, you know, a fight that uh, that I have very very low odds of winning. But uh, but you know, I I can't I can't give up at this point. So yeah. Um, well, I just know, want to say, that's, that's so thank you, Dave. Dave, I want to say thank you so much for being sincere and sharing this. And uh, I want you to know uh, that uh, a lot of us really do care about you. I know we, we, it's a strange world that we live in, Dave, because we don't even know. We have never met each other yet, but because of, we're such a small circle of people who are kind of like-minded, it, it's, you are very important to us. And uh, um, you know, for those of us to pray, our prayers are with you. You know, Our best wishes are with you. Um, we really do care about you. And another thing is, as I'll bring it up, uh, I brought it up before, don't beat yourself up over this. This is a bad idea. Don't blame yourself for this right now. Just take it easy, my friend. I, you know, <laughs> I do at times, you know. I mean, so many people told me over the years what an idiot I was for that I didn't quit smoking years ago, and I just laughed them off. I'm fine. I'm going to... I'm going to be taking my last hit when they're throwing the dirt on top of me. You know, I'm good. And um, so, you know, I, I do kind of, it's, and, 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 and to a large degree, I feel like I'm really letting a lot of people down. You know, I feel like I'm letting my family down. I feel like I'm letting my friends down. I feel like I'm letting my readership down. And, um, you know, I, it's, but, uh, you know, all I can do is just, uh, to fight it to the best of my ability and, and uh, you know, try to keep my head up and, and, and hope for the best. So, um, you know, I got, I got a lot of things that I, I've got a lot of things that I was hoping to do. You know, I got, I got three daughters that I got to marry off and, uh, you know, unborn grandchildren that I'd like to meet and spend time with. And, um, you got more books to write and, uh, more traveling that I'd like to do. And, you know, I, uh, I don't feel like my life is complete at this point, and I'm not ready to check out at all. And uh, you know, it's tough. I'm, I'm not gonna lie; it's, it's 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 a tough road. It's you know, and I get very depressed sometimes, and you know, very anxious at times. And uh, you know, physically, I have some really really bad days, and uh, you know, I'm just. But uh, I'm I'm doing everything that I can, everything that I believe that I that I can to uh, to survive this. And uh, you know, if it's if it's at all survivable, then uh, then I plan on being one of the ones to to, to do it. So uh, that's all I can really do at this point. Just kind of take things one day at a time and hope for the best. Well, I just want to say before my last statement here to you, uh, I consider you know. After this, you know, and if, if we only talk twice on the phone, but I, you're a friend of me. So if anytime you ever need to talk, I'm sincere. You know what? Uh, you give give me a call. It doesn't have to be about a show if you need to talk. I mean, you know, you know about my circumstances and battling with MS and dealing with all that. Yeah. That a man goes through. So if you need some, just an ear just to talk about the, you know, your personal, you know, your real life issues that we both are going through, that'd be cool. And before we end, uh, I, I don't want to hog it all because, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, you and Keith have had a – you guys have influenced us and you guys have had a longer relationship, and I would really like to have the last words, at least on our end, from Keith before you hang up on us. Yeah, Keith, Keith needs to come back out of retirement and fill in the gap that I'm leaving here. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, don't leave me with that. <laughs> no. Um, I, it, it, hopefully I can talk to you, Michael, after the fact. But I, but I want to ask you this, Dave. Oh, well, first of all, the fact that, that Michael told me you were on, I, I kind of got giddy about because I'm like, that's a good sign. Uh, and, I'm, of course, I'm pleased to talk to you. I just want to ask you this. Uh, you know, in the chat room, again, there are people who send you all these well wishes. But here's what I'd like to know. Do you mind getting emails, or is there a place where you want to take any kind of correspondence from folks who check in on you or want to know? Is that okay? And if so, where can they do that that's most facilitous to you? I love getting emails, yeah. My my primary email address is dave at davesweb.cnc. No, wait. No, that's my old email. Don't, don't <laughs> scrub that. It's Dave McGowan at roadrunner.com. Yeah, it's much simpler now. It's just, yeah, Dave McGowan. All one word, lowercase, no punctuation, just D-A-V-E-M-C-G-O-W-A-N at roadrunner.com. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I love uh, getting email. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't have time to return them all. I do read them all, uh, but I don't have time to, uh, especially now, uh, to, to personally respond to all of them. But don't, don't think that that doesn't mean that they're being read because they are. And, uh, and they are important to me. And... Uh, a lot of people tell me that they think of me as a friend, you know. I mean, I have a lot of people tell me that my writing style is, is very personal and very accessible and, and, and uh, you know, it's like reading my stuff is like, you know, sitting around, uh, sitting around the table with a favorite uncle, you know, listening to them tell stories or whatever. And so people tell me that even though they've never actually met me and they don't have a personal connection with me they they feel as if they do you know they feel as if they know me and, and they think of me as a friend and and uh and that really that doesn't mean a lot to me and and uh you know it's uh anything that anything that can help me to keep my head up and and uh you know keep my mental attitude where it needs to be you know because um, if my mental health suffers then my physical health suffers you know so i i have to do my very best to uh to try to keep my head up it's, as best I can. So, uh, yeah, I, I love hearing from, uh, love hearing from my fans, uh, very much so. And Dave, lastly, I mean, I never met him, but you referenced him a lot when I was asking you if you remembered certain events and you said, no, but your brother did. And it seems your brother's been right there for you. And I never met him, but I just want you to say, you know, Hey to him for me. And thanks for, you know, what he's done, you know, as a brother to you. Yeah, he's uh he's really stepped up to the plate. He's he's very concerned and uh has done a lot of uh networking on the internet and whatnot and uh has uh yeah, he he's been he's been very active in, in trying to uh you know help me in, in various ways through the recovery, as has my other brother and, and, and various other people uh in my life. Um just it's been a little overwhelming, you know. I mean just People, people that are long forgotten, you know, like old high school buddies and college buddies and ex-girlfriends and former co-workers and just people from all walks of life that have heard it through various channels and, and are contacting me or have contacted me to, you know, to express their support and their condolences and whatnot. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's been it's you know that and like I think I said before that that's that's been kind of a, one of the silver linings in all this because 
I've always thought of myself as, as kind of a loner. I've always been a bit of a loner. I've never gone out of my way to cultivate you know, long-term friendships and whatnot. And uh, it's very gratifying to find out that uh, how many people are out there that do think of themselves as uh, being friends or the very least uh, avid supporters of my work. And, um, you know, it, it, that, that makes it a little easier, you know. Uh, hey, one so last it's thing. not easy. But it makes it a little easier. So, hey Dave, you, I, I just want to know because this is very doable for folks too. <clears throat> I, I mean, are you are you any kind of regimen that involves any kind of fruits or something that people can send you? I mean, I'm just thinking that there's some things we can do if, if in fact you're uh, using that what, uh, in any way, shape, or form. I'm still looking into the alternative treatments. You know, like I say, this happens so fast. You know, I mean like four days from diagnosis to chemo, you know, while I was drugged out of my mind the whole time. And, uh, you know, I, I'd never, I'd never had any previous uh, interest in researching this kind of stuff because I thought that I was bulletproof, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't get sick. I don't get diseases. I don't, you know, that's for other people, you know? And so, you know, and I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm a skeptic, shockingly enough. <laughs> and, uh, I tend to believe my own research over other people's, you know, so before I, you know, make any kind of hard and fast decision on things, I, you know, I like to try to research it on my own. And uh, the reality is that I just, you know, I did not have time to do that when this, when this first broke and everything happened just so fast and, you know, um, so, but now that my chemo is wrapping up and I'm going to be on a break, I, I, I am looking much more, into into these uh you know and, and god i've it's just i've just gotten a, just a, an abundance of advice that i you know a lot of which i don't know what to make of you know a lot of people swear by cannabis oil other people swear swear by like colloidal silver uh other people have told me uh, like turmeric i just Drinking your own urine—that's that's one that I've gotten. <laughs> don't, don't go down. Uh, going on a macrobiotic <laughs> diet, only only eating and drinking organic uh, fruits and juices, and I mean, there's just so many alternative, uh, so many so many variations on a theme that have been suggested to me, and um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to to look into all of them and see, you know, sort out which ones have merit and which ones don't. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of info out there that I had never previously, you know, hadn't had much interest in looking at. And, and, uh, I'm trying, you know, to, to absorb as much of that as I can, but, uh, Dave? yeah, I'm still, yeah. I was just, uh, you know, as a guy who's been struggling with MS and I've tried so many different approaches, you know, one of these days, let's get together and we'll just talk man on the man real talk. Um, and uh, I can definitely give you some real doable things that uh, could help in the situation. You know, because you know everyone's like, hey, yeah. you oh, the colonial server, it sounds great. Forget about that. It's okay. Baking soda is one that I've heard of a lot of people. That I need true. to I need to change my pH level in my body. Is, uh, oh, sure. That one, uh, Dave, I, Dave, Dave I, I didn't want to say that to you, and I'm not going to belabor it, but baking soda has got a lot of great uses. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, in a surgical setting that happens in Europe, they suffocate the cancer cells with, guess what, 
baking soda. It's not oh, that yeah. facile. I mean, but that is the principle, and it works. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you, my wife and I have gone back on to drinking baking soda in lemon water, getting the pH into an, uh, uh, an alkaline state. Don't turn your nose up on it. I'm glad you mentioned it. But here's what I just wanted to say, and I'll, and I'll get out of this, and that is it, it's about nutrition, too. It, it cannot hurt. But my point is, if there's any kind of elements that you need, whatever that means, okay, whether it's foods or whatever or supplements that may be a little bit pricey, let us know and let, and let us help out with that, okay? All right, will do. Thank you very much. And I'm, we're serious. We'll do this. That's awesome, dude. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> I think you know it's like I know I know the the feeling, Dave. I've been bombarded by everybody's opinion under the sun. You know, the MS, and you know, oh, if you do this, you know. And by the way, uh, nutrition really did help a big deal. I mean, I was a guy that was basically wheelchair bound and. Uh, yeah, stuck with the wheelchair or using the crutch and couldn't do anything. And uh, although I'm still suffering, I have a chronic degenerative disease, and it's, there's no cure, just like you're going through. Um, I have, you know, there are some things that really do work. So if you ever want to talk about, it. and they're realistic, they're practical that you can actually do. You don't have to spend, you know, a thousand dollars and invest in a bunch of all these vitamin supplements and everything. I'm not saying it's not a good thing to to uh, try other things but if you never want to talk about it just experience whatever's going on you know what I mean so I'm serious about that too so uh, sometimes yeah, it's good it's, it's, it's good it's good to talk to somebody who's going through something similar than with what you're going through you know the day to day thing stuff, stuff, stuff. and so I'm yeah some people have told me that I should join like some local support groups or something and uh, you know with uh, people that are going through the same kind of thing and uh, I don't know, it's not, that's not generally my style because I'm not the most social person <laughs> around but um, but I, I certainly appreciate, you know, any, any help that anyone has to offer and, and you know, even even the advice that I get that I'm a little skeptical about, you know, I realize that, it, that it's offered with good intent and uh, these people mean well and, you know, they're, they're trying to do the right thing and, and, I, and I appreciate the efforts, I really do. And um, you know, I'm 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 going to do everything in my power to uh, to get myself healthy again. You know, and uh, so you know that's that's all I can do at this point is uh, take it day by day and then uh, hope for uh, hope for the best. Absolutely, brother. We really do care about you, man. And, uh, well, thank you very much. I, I do appreciate that, and uh, it was very good talking to you guys, Keith. Good talking to you again. You're out of out of retirement, sort of, sort of semi out of retirement for the day, at least. So, that's, uh, anytime that's you're good. around, talk uh, out of retirement. All right. Well, then I'm, I'm going to have to stick around then, just to keep you, uh, just to keep you out there working, I guess. So. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I I very much appreciate the talk. I appreciate the advice, the support, and uh, everything else. It's great talking to you guys. And uh, this is the first interview that I, actually that I've done in quite some time. So hopefully I did okay. I'm a little rusty, but 
hopefully we did okay. And um, yeah, I uh, really very much enjoyed talking to you guys. So uh, maybe we can uh, do it again down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Cool. You guys have a good evening and a good weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll probably talk soon. Absolutely. Take care, man. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Um, Yeah, Keith, thank you very much, my friend. Hey, listen, you got to stay with me for a while. Absolutely, we're going to stick around. Absolutely. There's a reason. Yeah. In four minutes, I become 64. Really? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm not laughing at your 64 on this your birthday. It's it's fantastic, man. Who would have thought that? That was a even a unique surprise. <laughs> this has been a very surprising night. I was not really uh, expecting this evening, so it's been a real blessing. So. That you got him as a guest surprised me. Not because you know you're you. But I didn't think he'd ever be back in a saddle again to the extent of giving an interview even this long. I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, exerting. But um, well, I don't I think we we're this. This was ideal for him, don't you think? I mean, first of all, listening to you and Dave just talk like old buddies and the fact that you are on basically on the same level of intellect and ability, research, like you guys are talking about uh, Abraham Lincoln. Well, let's face it, the rest of us couldn't have done that. You know what I mean? So I'm sure that was good for him because there's probably not too many people out there that he can have that conversation. And the fact that just having the opportunity to actually express what you're going through is such an important thing. We all need it. You know what I mean? We all need to, our life story needs to be heard, regardless of how insignificant you think it is. Um, it's uh, we need that. It's for healing. You know what I mean? So I think let's start probably long, so long. So long. I mean, we're talking three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Um, well, I tell you what. Um, I, I I wouldn't say this to him. I mean, he's heard it all before. But let me tell you something. I mean, when you get to this period, I mean, I'm I'm healthy and I'm active, but that doesn't mean a thing, you know. I mean, I think it was the I was the uh, very uh, accomplished roadrunner James Fix, uh, long distance runner, great health, died one day. Uh, I mean, while he was in training, and the point being is that you can do all that you can do. But life does what life wants to. And so when I get a, a searing pain through my brain once in a while, what's left of it, I don't just take it as something I'm like, I, I, I have to tell you. I stop and go, is this it? Because that's the way things go. And when Angie died two years ago, <clears throat> I mean, she just had an aneurysm that she didn't know burst on her. She fell, she was gone in her sleep, probably took 30 seconds. So I just mean everybody – and a lot of the young, and I understand it, think they got thousands of days ahead of them. And for the most part, usually they're right. But you never know. And now right. when, when Dave was stricken, I'll be honest with you, my first thought was, you know, it can happen to him. It can happen to me, you know. Right. All right. Listen. Oh, yeah. Question. Absolutely listen. it can happen. You know, it can happen to any of us. And, uh it's, it is. Just, if you want to sit in a saddle, somebody wants to call in. Do you want to deal with that? 
Absolutely. One, two, three, everybody. Of course, you can't hear it, but let's sing. I'm sorry, Dave. You're going to have to listen. Or Keith, you're going to have to hear no, listen to my voice. To call in. Happy birthday no. to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Keith. Happy birthday to you. And evermore. Well, no thanks for that, but um, <laughs> no. I mean, you've got. I mean, you listen. If you want to go to sleep, that's fine. In these situations, I can never go to sleep. I'll be awake till three o'clock this morning. But I understand. So, if, you, you know, know if anybody wants to come, come and then open up the lines and stuff. <laughs> Manufacturer said that was terrible. You're absolutely right. It was horrible. I know. It's hard to believe that I spent twenty some years of my life in musicians and writing songs too, and even being a front man. I just don't have the mojo anymore. I it's not there anymore. <laughs> Gino wanted to call in because of some of the topics. This is Gino from Crooklyn. Okay. <laughs> but there's been some really nice comments in here, and I don't know if you want to address any of these verbally. Um. You know, like I said, I can't be generous with your time either. But if if they're going to call in, do you want to take them? I mean, and can they can can you hear them? You know what? If they do what I if you call in the number there that you know the Skype number and then the, you enter in the uh, call ID number, which is one three five three nine nine pound. Yeah, I'll open it up to you. Um, okay, let me open up this guy. Is this Gino right here? He'll tell you. Geo Art or Gino? It's Gino. Hey, there you okay, we can hear you, man. You're a little loud. I don't know if you got a volume control. You may turn down just a little bit. But no, uh, he's but, he's from Brooklyn. He's always loud. Oh, that's right. I forgot about you guys from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, we talk loud. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say that I have also I have a chronic condition, but it's not as serious as MS or uh, Dave's cancer, but. Uh, you know, I'm a type 1 diabetic, but it is very, very doable. You can, you know, in in my situation, I can control it, but it's 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 high maintenance. And you can, you know, you can deal with it as best you can. You know, so uh, I just want to send out some positive uh, thoughts to uh, Dave and yourself, you know, that... Uh, well, how do you how do you deal how do you deal with your uh, diabetes? Because you know that's something that a lot of us are going to have to deal with in our lives. So, what yeah. have you learned about it? Okay, um, type one means that you have no insulin at all. Okay, your body doesn't manufacture any 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 insulin at all. So you have to take a you have to take a long term insulin to compensate for the energy that your body needs when it's performing. Say like you know when it's non involuntary actions, breathing, heart rate, stuff like that. So that operates on a 24-hour um, window that you need to take that every day. But what you can do through your diet and through exercise is limit the amount of insulin that you need to take for your um, your food and for your what's called corrections. You know, when your blood sugars get high for no apparent reason, you know, you can always deal with that and knock them down through exercise. 
or you could, if you want to uh, limit the amount of insulin that you need for your diet, you just eat you eat right. In other words, your body, say you're a non-diabetic, okay, and you go out and you have pizza, and you have like white bread, okay, which is bleached and it's going to raise your blood sugars. Your body, as a normal person, will release insulin into your system to knock down the effects of the the bleached flour. Right. So what I do, I just don't eat that type of stuff and limit the amount of insulin that I need. In other words, if you limit the amount of insulin that you have to take for your food, then you are doing okay by your health. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. That that's and so and basically what I'm saying is what you take in is 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 the key. You know what I mean? You can operate without the. There are some days where I don't use insulin at all for corrections. You know, so you can help yourself out. Although, albeit you know, with MS or cancer, it's it's definitely you know it's a lot more. Uh, I would say it's you know it's it's definitely a lot more daunting. You know, because I know you're more. Uh, I've had conversations with some people that have MS, and through weather conditions, your condition gets worse. And you know, it's 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 just uh, you know sometimes it's totally out of your hands. Like this right now is called heat intolerance, and that's why I got the blurred vision and I can't see and can't read anything. Of course, then then I find out that I have. Because I'm 47 years old, therefore I need bifocals, so <laughs> they didn't help. But uh, yeah, that's and winter's really tough too. But I tell you, you know, when I was there's a thing called the uh, Walls Protocol diet, which is basically the uh, Paleo diet, and and that uh, yeah, really made a huge difference in uh, delaying my uh, illness, and I had well, two and a half years of really. Uh, really a nice, you know, I was able to walk without a cane for a couple miles, do stuff, take my son to the park every day, that kind of stuff. I'm really glad mm-hmm. I did it. Eventually, the, the disease eventually catches up with you, and that's what it's doing. I'm just, but, but I, str- I really strongly believe that eat, it, one of the things that I discovered for me, and I see for a lot of people, is wheat. Wheat is a killer, and the white flour is definitely a killer. It, the some reports say that it might be one of the, the one of the top three killers in this country. And uh, I tell you, when I got rid of the wheat, my neuropathy in my feet was almost non-existent. Oh, you get neuropathy in your feet? That's a, that, that, is, that will be a problem for diabetics, neuropathy. Right. And, yeah. eye, and, and also neuropathy in the eyes and neuropathy in the hands. You know, you got, but um, I don't have any yet, as of yet. So I think I'm doing pretty good with it. You know, but uh, the wheat is definitely a killer. For, for some reason, it I, I don't know what, you know, for me, it's just like I said, if, if, if raising your insulin, for me, must mean have some, something to do with raising stress in your body. Oh, yeah. And inflammation. You know what I mean? So uh, I try to stay out of that, you know. Um, a huge... Re- element in recovering from all these illnesses is uh, rest, rest. And, you know, we look at a guy like Dave or myself, I'm sure Keith is saying, but I imagine you probably are too. I mean, a lot of us are uh, high, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, I don't know if we're type A or 
personalities, but we uh, kind of overdo things, you might say. <laughs> yeah. And it's really important to, to uh, you know, take breaks, to really rest. And uh, it's it's hard for me to do. You know, I, I look at myself and, you know, Dave talks about, you know, he'll say it on the show. So, you know, he says he's a little bit compulsive. Uh, a little, uh, um, but, you know, um, I am a compulsive. In a, uh, I am a compulsive because when I, my wife says to me, when I sit out, when I sit out to do something, like if, for instance, if I want to uh, approach photography is one of the one of the hobbies that I have, or if I want to approach history, which is one of the hobbies that I have, where uh, it's playing uh, music. When I wanted to study music, I just get like right into it, intense. You know, I, I don't know if that's common to you know if that's a if that brings on the disease or whatever. But it's just what I do. Well, you know when, I mean? when when you're suffering from disease, it's really that's a here's a problem. For a lot of us, we never learned how to listen to our body, and so you know, just to, to learn to just take breaks and to be at peace with that, it's it's a trouble for a lot of us. You know what I mean? Because we're just kind of go getter type people, and uh, you know, go 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 go, wake up in the morning and. And stay up till three in the morning, type of thing, and that's who we are. And it eventually, does catch up with you, and um, we'll put stress on you. You got to learn how to take breaks, and that's a terrible thing for a lot of us to deal with because, well, we have our brains. What's between our ears? You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, how do I shut down? You know what I mean? And well, well, lack of sleep is a precur- is a uh, well, lack of sleeping or or, or lack of enough sleep is a precursor to a diabetic condition that will bring on a pre-diabetic condition. So I don't know what it does for your condition per se, but what I've learned to do uh, uh, with the diabetes is that I learned to take a nap. Absolutely. You know, in the afternoon, I learned to take, I learned to go to sleep for like maybe about an hour a day in the afternoon, and I just, and when I wake up from that, I feel much more relaxed. As a matter of fact, I might even go to the gym after that. Or I go for a five mile walk. Um, you know, that's yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah. Can I, but, uh, can I interject something here? I'm sorry, but I mean, finish up your thought. But you got stuff perking here in the chat room with regard to what you guys are talking about, and also diet, and of course the, the big discussions about grain, no good, grain good, maybe sometimes. I mean, it's it's a valid, it's, you know, uh, discussion. I, I'm only saying that it, it's there, so. Gino, by all means, finish up. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I do see a lot of stuff going on in the chat, and I saw your comment about grain uh, through people in you know in history. Well, maybe that the grain we were more nomadic back then, and that we needed the grain to travel to like store up, because most of the tribes. What I read about diabetes through history is that some of these civilizations that are chronic to the condition were nomadic types, the Pima Indians, Alaskans, you know, where they had to travel. So what they did was they didn't store up on meat, but they stored up on carbs. Oh, okay, because you, you're saying this, and I understand that when you get into mm-hmm. long-range endurance-type situations, you need the carbs, which is why marathoners carb pack before they run. Right. So you can mm-hmm. burn it. That's a, that's a great example. Um because, I mean, obviously the carbs get turned into sugar. Is that correct? Yeah, all carbs, everything, you know what? Every All carbs turn into sugars, 
even as a matter of fact, what I found out from my uh, my uh, uh, it's my nutritionist uh, that works out of my endocrinologist's office office is that everything converts to carbs to a certain percentage. Now, carbs obviously convert 100% to sugars. Uh, fats convert at a rate of 40% to sugars, and even protein converts at 10% to sugars. So, yeah, it, 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 it definitely uh, there's definitely something there. I, mm-hmm. um, and one of my questions with the group uh, was, I know people bang on on uh, grains, and yet there are civilizations that were built and maintained on grains. Uh, but someone said, okay, um, and this this is valid too. It's true. It says. Um, Did I lose you? No, I, I'm just I'm trying to figure okay. it out. You know, I see it and I turn away, and I'm looking back, but it, it was valid. Okay, it said uh, grain has changed from more nature wheat to a modified variety. Yes, we got the problems with the GMO and stuff like that. Um, but you know, again, you know, we used to laugh because Italians smoke, they eat dairy and pasta and drink wine, and they live to like 117. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and so, but but I think what we're missing, no, we're not missing, I shouldn't say that, but there's a total thing happening, and that is where you live, what kind of biosphere you live in, the stress that's there, and I tell you, Gino, one of the things I do nowadays, even if I don't, I, I can't run anymore because my knees are shot, I can't skate anymore because my knees are shot, however, mm-hmm. I go out on that bike whether I want to or not, because I refuse not to 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 do my 40 to an hour, you know what I mean? Right. Because if I don't, then I'm afraid that some of the things. I mean, you know, if I do eat the weed, if I do this, um, if I'm if I'm burning it, I'm smoking it. I think probably I'll be okay. We're not big, uh, simple comp, uh, simple carbohydrate eaters. But I think mm-hmm. the point is, if you're active, that can cover a multitude of sins. Oh yeah, that it, helps. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely like for true. me. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, like I eat ancient grain bread. Uh, which, you know, you, you get your grains and uh, you get the more variety of it. And the thing is, too, is with, you know, it's moderation. It's the amount. So you look at Italians when they're eating their pasta compared to Americans, and I'm guilty of it. You have a heaping plate of pasta and a little bit of sauce and meat, no hardly any vegetables or a salad. Well, if you look at an Italian when they eat pasta... Uh, there's a little bit of pasta and all the real food on top of it. So that's the big thing is, is that we, uh, as a society have become, we've gorged ourselves way too much on, uh, not only wheat, but then there's that uh, high, uh, was it sucrose fructose? Is that what it's called? I can't remember now. It's in everything, you know? Uh, so it's a combination of those two things that are really a big problem. Um, you know, a lot of times when that, you know, you said, well, you got to have, you got to have organic fruits and vegetables. You know what? If you can't afford it, like a lot of people can't, because they made it this way in this society, in this culture that we live in called America, uh, that uh, if you want to eat organic fruits and vegetables or three times the price, if you can go for it, but there's no even guarantee that that is the truth. So unless you're getting it from a farm that you know for sure, you know what, you're going to have to, um, it's a combination of things, you know what I mean? It's eating healthy, minimizing the things that really aren't, 
we should be eating. We just like like pizza. Pizza is nothing but uh, a bunch of wheat and carbs. You know what I mean? I mean, old pizzas were never anything like what we eat. Go to hey, you know what? Go to a good old Chicago style pizza restaurant in Chicago and. Uh, it ain't the same thing as what we have. I'm sure in Brooklyn it's the same way. You have real pizzas. Well, I'll tell you what. I one the things that I do, a combination of everything you guys have mentioned. You know, I try to worry a little bit less. You know, but I I'm I'm very strict in my diet. Okay, I'm mainly vegetables and uh, some low glycemic fruits. Okay, and I exercise. But uh, it's a combination of all, of all three, and I'm, I'll tell you the truth. I by doing that, I am able to keep my blood sugars like right on track, man. It's 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 not even funny, because when I was I was diagnosed as a type two diabetic for years, okay, and then for like six months, my blood sugars got totally out of control, and what they were doing was they were modifying the the um, the pills I was taking, and then I, they, my blood sugars were still going up, so I left that doctor, went to another doctor, and they took a blood test that measured my um, antibodies, and they said, okay, Mr. Reed, you have no insulin at all. And since I'm on the insulin, I'm very much more attuned to, because I have to test like seven, eight times a day. So testing is the key for that. But uh, I'm very more, much more in tuned, and my blood sugar, I keep my blood sugars within a normal range. And I would suggest to you guys, everybody, eat a diabetic's diet. I mean, that's for me, that's the way to go. It's very well balanced. There's a little bit of protein. There's a lot of vegetables. There's a low glycemic fruits, water, exercise. You know, the whole the whole nine yards. Maybe it's it's it, the whole thing is. You know, it's it's pretty much for everybody. You know what I mean? It's it's you know, but it's that's that's what I do. There are some days where I do not use corrective doses for insulin for food or high blood sugars at all. I mean, some days I do, but I mean, a, a lot of the times I don't. It, you know, and it's, the pills really screwed up my stomach, and <laughs> that's one of the things. It was like a a, a vicious cycle where I would take the diabetic pills and they would work in your intestines because they would slow down the absorption of carbohydrates into your system. But because they sat there, they gave me indigestion and um, I, I got a lot of acid reflux from the pill. And what happens, my answer to that, the only foods that would not give me those types of symptoms were carbohydrates and it would raise my blood sugars. So, you know, that, that worked for me. Hey, listen, while we got you, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. do we want to address what manufacturer was talking about with regard to uh, the courts and rights and privileges? Are you okay with that, Michael? Uh, sure, guys. I'll tell you what. He could probably call because I think he's called before. He's a, he's a very bright guy. Oh, I yeah. Know him, I know him Man from other, other, other calls on TalkShoe. And Man I've gotten into my stuff. What? 
He's yeah, manufacturer like if you want to come on, you've been on before, you know how to do it. So if you want to come on, you want to. Work. Yeah, he he's a really bright guy, and but yeah. you know, uh, but the privileges in the courts. Uh, see, see, you know what happens here? A lot, a lot of, a lot of people are, are drawing upon common law issues. Okay, and what I've read, uh, one of the books that I've read that the I Man cited was. Uh, Oh my God! I have it right here. Hold on a second. <laughs> it's uh, the American Admiralty, okay? The jurisdiction and practice with practical forms and directions. Now it gives the history of that, and the, the tension has always been between common law and Admiralty, okay? And you know, it, it's been an ebb and flow between them both. But right now, today, the common law it, it, it's just getting ignored. Everything is in admiralty. Everything is in commerce. As a matter of fact, in the United States today, it's it's I forget what somebody has called it, but but it's everything is commerce. You know, everything is admiralty. There is no common law. You know, that's that's what's happening. And when you're in the courts, that's what you're dealing with. You know, you're not dealing with common law. You're dealing with admiralty law. You're strictly in commerce. You're in the law of contracts. And that's it. <laughs> you know, that's 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 basically my bottom line. Right. Now, manufacturer's mm-hmm. not going to call in. He said he's he's tired, and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted to extend to him because, as you know, you guys know that um, Michu and I put up a disclaimer because we were getting this flood of people who were you, who were thinking that we were going to give them the secret password uh, and information about how to get out of the IRS and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, my only point is this. You can be right about every single technicality, and I know, Gino, you were trying to tell him that. My only point is you're dealing with – I'm sorry, I'm not going to use that word. Uh, you're dealing with people who aren't honest or fair or nice, and they no. will change the rules. They will look at you, and you will go ahead and cite some kind of esoteric passage. They'll turn around and go, that's nice. Guess what? Bang, you're out. Uh, right. I mean, I look, to tell him. I just mm-hmm. wanted to tell him is that you can be right, but it doesn't matter because these mother jumpers just changed the rules. And and you told about Eddie Kane and myself, or or or. Um, yeah, I mentioned it. Yeah, Eddie Kane. The Eddie Kane. That interview was one of the best insights into the way things are that I have ever heard. Yeah, this is a guy who got Wesley Snipes out of you know paying this kind of income tax. Are you familiar with this at all, Michael? Michael, maybe Michael went to the bathroom. Are you still yeah. there, Gino? Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. Ed Kane advised Wesley Snipes, who eventually was prosecuted on tax evasion. So was Eddie Kane. Mm-hmm. Well, K-A-H-N. Eddie went down to Panama where there was no extradition to save his butt. The feds went down in a, in a country they had no extradition rights, and basically kidnapped him and brought him back. He has never had his day in court, low these, what, 15 years. They shut him around from prison to prison. And my point is, nobody talks about these kind of cases on YouTube where they all pop off about, you know, I did this and I did that and UCC. Let me just tell you something. And, of course, if you remember Eric uh, with the story about, what was his name? The Dragon. The FedEx... Who, yeah, he, yeah. He, what he, he, you know, he talked about whatever his name was versus the dragon. 
and he went in. He had a great job with FedEx. He was making like 90 grand. He got involved with somebody who was a tax, I don't want to say evader, but, you know, used the information and stuff and guided him. They both got grabbed by the IRS. They both were put in jail. They will That's never, right. ever pay what they need to pay. And, I mean, so you tell me what you're better off at. If you think you're lucky enough to go ahead, and you can. I mean, sometimes, I mean, all right, and lastly, and I won't go on and pontificate, but understand something, folks. The informer was smart. He was a great researcher. He gave us the tools. But he got out of the system, and what wound up happening? Couldn't what wound up happening is that he lived on an island. Yeah, and he needed other people who were in the system to help him out. Don't, That's correct. You know, it doesn't work, folks, man. I mean, just pay the damn son of a guns, whatever it is. If the time comes when you can't, okay. And I may be looking at that myself. That's why I'm like a little bit queasy about what's going to happen to me in the future. But my point is you can be right on every single freaking point of law, but when you're in front of a judge, he's corrupt. They're a separate corporation unto themselves. Federal courts don't look at you as anything else except a rebel. So don't, I mean, forget it, man. I mean, you can be there and you can state everything and they're going to throw your ass in jail. That's the way it is. Do you know that Jacob, uh, what was it, Edwin Schiff? Yeah, one of the Schiffs, yeah. Yeah, Edwin Schiff, the tax, he was a tax protester. Now, he, 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 he just came up for uh, his, his uh, he came up for review for parole a few years ago, and he's like in his 80s, and they denied him. Yeah. And they just threw him away. You know, so it's, look, <laughs> I don't want to pay taxes. <laughs> I don't like the idea myself, but you know what? But here's the deal. If you're going to be doing that, okay, if you're going to be fighting stuff like the driver's license, taxes, you're always going to be in court. And it takes money to go to court, okay? So, A, number one, you're always going to be in court, so what are you going to do for a living? <laughs> and C, you know what I mean? How are you going to live your life? That's, that's, that's basically... What, right, exactly. And, and, and manufactured, I'm not mocking you. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you I've been there, done that, and I've seen the wreckage. This boy at 64 would never even try something like that, you know, pay Caesar what Caesar wants. However, if you want to do that, God bless you. But when you get in front of, you know, if you get into a federal court, man, I'm going to tell you right now, you better wear brown pants because that's the end of it. Yeah, that's true. And here's another thing. Check this out. One of the things that I wanted to do when I researched the informer, okay, and, you know, you know how things go. One thing leads to another. And so I wound up getting a book. I wanted to find out what the exchequer was, okay? So I happened to come across this book that sells antiquarian books on legal history. And it was a book called The Exchequer in the, in the 11th Century. Okay, it was uh, a Ford lecture delivered in New York City in like 1913 or something. Anyway, so it goes back into history and tells you what the Exchequer was. The Exchequer basically was a big scroll where the king laid out all his accounts, okay? And you want to know something? The chief person, well, the chief entity that was responsible for helping the king get his accounts together was the sheriff. 
okay? He was the guy that worked for the king. And that's always the way it's been through history. And people, the patriots think that the sheriff is going to come in and they're going to, you know, save the day somehow. But that's not true. The, the sheriff has always been a tool of the state through the king. And the patriots really get it wrong when, it, when, it, when they're saying, you know, when, it, when they come off on that. I mean, you look at Sheriff Arpaio, right, a few uh, last year. He had the court say he had no standing under the Constitution to sue Obama, right? Yeah. It's because he's a creation of the state. The state creates the county, the county creates the sheriff, and that's the end of that. All right, without getting into minutiae about this, because there's something right. I want to ask Michael also, but here's what I found interesting. The very first reports that came out about it stated that um, Arapeo did not have the standing to bring the suit, uh, you know, into federal court. Right. It later turned out that um, his suit didn't have any standing. My point is this. In the very beginning, they stated it correctly. When Arapeo, as a citizen, a private citizen, even if he's a sheriff or whatever, went into federal court and tried to use the Constitution, they told him to stick it up his ass. That's right. That's correct, 100%. That's, as you know and as I know, we have found cases after cases where people go in trying to use the Constitution as a remedy. And as it said in Paddleford versus Georgia, it says, yes, the Constitution is a compact, but a private citizen is not party to it. Yep. What don't you get? Right, exactly. You can't do it. <laughs> it was only created for the states. It was created for the Senate. It was created for, con uh, for the House of Representatives yeah, and the state legislatures. That's it. You don't have, any, you, you don't have a say. That's it. That's exactly it. It's it's a private. Well, it's all private contracts, really, right? When you look at it, you know everything's private, everything's contracts, right? You're not a party to that contract. Here's the deal. This is the way I look at it. Everything's all contracts, right? Okay, you're walking into a mall, okay, and there's a revolving door, and there's a door that you can pull open manually, okay. You walk into the pull-in door and you open it manually. The revolving door breaks, okay, right, and people get hurt. Now, you use the pull-out door. Can you sue? No, because you, no. You, weren't, you weren't using it. Right, exactly. You weren't involved in that contract. Right. It's as simple as that. It's basic stuff. The informal was right. Well, he, he hit a home run on all of it. But, yeah. I mean, and we're going to move away from this, so I'm not going to continue because there's something I want to direct to Michael. Mm-hmm. Michael, you with us? I'm still here, yeah. Okay. You went to the bathroom on us. We know you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it stinks. I heard it from here, man. What the hell were you eating? But uh, manufacturers says they have to follow it. They cannot force service. You must consent. Don't you get it? You don't understand. You don't have to do anything. But all right, we're going to leave it right there. It all sounds well, and I'm not mocking you, my man. I'm just telling you they cannot forget it. They don't have to do anything, and you don't get it. Uh, and I'll tell you what, if you feel, you know, like your pecker's uh, hard enough, go fight with them, and uh, we'll, send you, we'll send you bread and, and salamis in prison. I'm, I'm sorry, my man, I understand what you're saying. It's the way the world should be, and it is not. Now, let me go on with this. Michael, here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. Gino, I know you don't feel maybe that comfortable with this, but be that as it may. 
the whole point of what we're talking about is that governments are corrupt. They've always been corrupt. Yes. There are human constructs that can only tend to corruption. Once the tribes told Jehovah, hey, you know what? We want kings. That was the beginning of a new era. Michael, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, maybe for my, my you know, my research and becoming basically, I mean, folks, if anybody who listens to my show knows that I, I'm not shy about it. I consider myself a Christian these days. And what, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you read the scriptures and, uh, <clears throat> you know, Satan is the prince of this world and he controls all the uh, governments of this world and, uh, and you're not going to ever get what you think you want. So you live in Babylon, so you're going to have to learn how to live in Babylon like Daniel did. You're going to have to learn to live within it. And, uh, you know, uh, that's the way right. it goes. You're, you're not, there's no changing in it. There's, it's, a, it's a grand illusion. <laughs> that's for sure. To think that, uh, okay, this time around, we're going to do it right. You've heard it over and over again now for thousands of years, and it just hasn't happened. So, <clears throat> that, and, and, uh, and we can say that freely. I mean, we understand... Look, are we agreed that this bit about God loves the United States especially is propaganda? Uh, say it again? That God loves the United States especially is propaganda. Absolutely not. It, it's, 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 it's absolute, excuse me, I, I'm agreeing with you. It's, it's absolute bogus. It's boulder dash. You know what? This whole concept of you know, America is... is Special chosen place. Well, it is, but you got to figure out who's who, who made it and why are we so special? It's the first thing you might want to ask is a, a country that's been at war for all of its its existence, except for about twenty years, and that we've been fighting other people's wars most of that time. You might want to ask what our real destiny is. But the, the thing is, is that propaganda actually came out of the public schools. There was a reason why the Bible was there. And Christians yeah. freak out because they took the Bible out. And I'm like, you know what? We don't need it in there because that's not, it, we don't need to have that there. We can pray. We can do whatever we want. You know, we don't need any kind of government sanctioned anything. And if there are people here in a republic, supposedly, that aren't Christian, they have, you know, they should be given the right not to be exposed to that. I mean, that's just the way it goes. However, the Bible was in the classroom. And that started to forge this propaganda between the United States is special because we have Puritans come over here and Protestants and all this jazz, and God loves us special. Therefore, whatever we do must be sanctioned by God. So let's go ahead and genocide Native peoples for about 100 years and get into all kinds of wars, and it's okay. You know what I'm saying? In other words, the whole bit about God and country is an amalgam that is not in the Bible. Absolutely. It's it's. it's 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 total state propaganda and and it's state has always used uh the church as a way to propagandize the public i, I mean i really it's not an exaggeration uh, no. if you want to find uh the greatest source of propaganda in uh western europe and in the uh, western hemisphere i go go further than the church the organized body that we call the church whether it's Roman Catholicism or its daughter churches, this constant barrage of deception, lies, and twisting of the scripture. If you really want to know the scripture, you're going to have to let go of uh, 
organized religion and to understand it because they teach you so many false things. I mean, it's overwhelming. In fact, it's turned out that my show, most of it is about talking about all the lies that come out of whether it's Roman Catholicism or the Protestant churches or evangelical churches and, uh, you know, whether it's dispensational futurism or, you know, this whole thing about America being even in the scriptures, which it is not, folks. You can't find it anywhere. You have to really have a, a stretch of imagination to even say so. Um, that um, we really aren't as special as we've been propagandized or indoctrinated into believing. We are <clears throat> very much expendable in the empire that we really live in. Oh, somebody in the uh, chat room said, uh, look at the U.S., look what it does, how can God love it? Well, that is true, but the thing is is that there's no nation that seeks after God. Forget about it. There is none. And my contention is that the Lord doesn't see this planet as having country borders. He sees human beings soul by soul. So this bit about, oh, there'll be a revival in this country or that country, no, there's not. It's not going to be unless, so, you know, one by one people come to the Lord. But as far as nations flipping, no. What it, what and, and, and even in the Bible and the Word of God, nation has nothing to do with borders. It has to do with groups of people. That's right. Nations, and, in, as usage, is about peoples. You're absolutely right. right. Um, but, but I mean, again, I mean, we talked about this too. I mean, it's indicting what was said in Luke four five when Satan tempts the Lord, and he says, "These are my kingdoms to give to whomsoever I want." He showed them all in one moment of time. What do you think Satan was telling him? Oh, these are mine, just like for this period. No, Satan said they're mine, and and the, and Jesus did not argue. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, but of right. course, you know, he he rebuked the bribe and said, "No, you know, that's not going to happen." But the idea, I mean, what do you need to know? There are no Christians that are in federal offices. It, it cannot happen. If they're, if they're saved when they got in there, they won't be saved when they get out. I mean, it just cannot happen. That's right. What's the old analogy you say about walking in through a, uh, a pig pen in white clothing? Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> you can walk into a pigsty with a white robe. You're going to come out just as rotten looking as the pig. So, I mean, it can't happen. Absolutely. But, I mean, it's also, I mean, if you look at the Synoptic Gospels, what does Jesus say? There's not much dedicated to what Jesus said. They're in the Synoptic Gospels, but you don't need much more. Every time they approached him about Caesar, what do you say? It's none of my business. we got nothing to do with that. You know, and I, and I told you, and you, you, you understand, I mean, you said yes. I mean, Jesus never touched the coins. Why? Absolutely. Because they're unholy. They're filthy lucre. The, the monetary system and banks and the money itself is all an unholy construct. Yes, we all live in it. The Lord understands it. But don't ever think for one second that there's any kind of amalgam between the secular state and the Lord state. Yeah. I mean, and this whole, this whole argument, this bogus argument that we live in a, in a Christian country, well, it just doesn't pan out. And No, we have Christians in this country, but we have, we've never... There is no such thing as a Christian country. There really has never been such there a thing. There isn't. I know there's no such thing. Nobody <clears throat> seeks after the Lord. I mean, not nation-wise. So my point is, what I was saying to Dave, and I think you understand, I mean, you didn't, you didn't mention anything at the time, and I, I believe that's because you agreed with it and we were going at it. I mean, not in a bad way. Right. But what I was saying to him is that nobody here is going to 
object to what the state is doing, just like nobody in Germany did. The churches are in on it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying that a, a saved Christian shouldn't go into the military. If it happens, it happens. But to support it and to, you know, I mean, what in the world is about having, you know, I mean, all the flags. Why would you have a – the American flag is a flag of occultism, all right? And it's, an, it's a logo for a, an occult incorporation called the United States of America, Inc. Why would you allow that in the sanctuary of a church? Do you think that the boy would say, okay, yeah, bring that in? Oh, by the way, yeah, the Star of David? Yeah, or okay, yeah, bring that in too. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's not the Star of David, folks. There never was such a thing. It's, huh? it's, it's the Star of Rephem, and uh, the, as far as the flag goes, uh, for my research, it represents uh, the, was it the Jesuit Corporation. I want mean, to keep saving the East Indian Company, but that's not. What was the one that came here? Um, help me out here, because we're we live in a corporation, folks. We don't live in a. Are country. you talking about the British uh, East Indy Company or what? Yes, it I represents mean, that. That's that's rep, you know, and it was you know, <laughs> it doesn't represent anything more than that, you know. Our flag is based on that. Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, it, it, it represents cor- uh, um, a corporation, a corporate venture. And uh, it has very much religious connotations, uh, but uh, those those religions that religious connotation has nothing to do with quote unquote being Christian. It has to do, you know, when this goes back, you guys are talking about uh, the court system and and taxes and where our money goes. Well, as you discover, and I, man, and anybody else has spent a little bit of time, well, it goes to. Western Europe, the papacy, uh, the monarchies, the uh, the British monarchy, um, not all of it, but enough of it. We support it. We're part of their venture. They never gave up their, I mean, if you look at the Treaty of 1781, um, what did we exactly win? We the people? We didn't win anything. <laughs> no, I understand, you know, I got into something with the last time I was on. I got into somebody who was like throwing this stuff out. It was one thing to another. It's like, well, the Declaration of Independence. Like, yes, yeah, so what? The the Brits looked at that and was like, yeah, that's nice. That's cute. You know, who cares? The reason that the that the founders came out with that document was to get the poor slobs all fired up to go ahead and fight the war that they weren't gonna. It's a great document. It doesn't mean jack in court. And the real document by which we were governed is anything but a Christian document, and that's the Constitution that denied, of course, voting rights to minorities, women, and white men who didn't have enough property. Does that sound like an egalitarian Christian contract to you? Give me a break. Absolutely not. Well, just to let you know, there's a high probability that talk show or Skype will be ending in about three minutes, just to let you know. So I don't. We don't have to. But it's just you know, if it dies on us, it's, I will say uh, that. Just well, you know, it's not because of uh, of me and my end of things. I keep us going. No, but but I mean, I want, listen, I want to thank you very much for bringing me on and letting oh, me know awesome. how that was very nice of you. Um, you the people who've been listening uh, really had some outstanding things to comment on. It was nice to have Dave here, and I think probably I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life because um, that you had him on was probably providential, I will say that. Um, Absolutely. 
And, uh, wasn't, it wasn't anything I did. I mean, you know my emails. My emails are so unimpressive un, and so unprofessional. It's amazing anybody responds to my emails. There's hardly anything there. <laughs> well, there's a couple there that I wondered if you were talking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure of that. Um, but anyway, I, I want to thank you for that and also for the folks who, uh, you know, chimed in as much as they did. And thanks for staying with us. That, that was pretty cool. So. You know, I appreciate your audience, and, um, you know, again, I'll just leave it at this. I wish things were better than they were. I don't see where they're going to be. We're not going to rebound, and, I mean, folks can figure out however they want to navigate through this. Uh, we use this not as a trite saying, but truly a lot of us just say the only way out is up. We're not giving up the fight necessarily. It's just that there's a fight greater than what we see going on terrestrially and with, as you know, again, it's not about what, um, about blood, but about principalities of darkness. So, Absolutely. At the end of the day, you know, listen, if we have our faith in our, and who we know to be God and his only begotten son. And that's, the, you know, that's it. That's the, the great message of the gospel, uh, the purity of the gospel is nothing to do with religion. There's nothing you can do about it except to have, you know, you know, Believe, have an unabiding faith in Jesus Christ, and let God be the master. And let's be grateful for what we have. We what we still have, and be grateful for the loved ones we have and the friendships we have, because in the end of the day, that's what really matters, right? I mean, nobody can argue or have self pity for the time that they're born. And we may be entering a really rough period. It's not like it's the only one that ever happened. It just didn't happen here. And you can get mad and you can resent it and you can go into denial. But the thing is, this is your one and only life. Uh, you got to navigate it the best you can. But this isn't the end of the road. The body ends, but the spirit goes on forever. And so this is, you know, this is finite. Uh, there's an eternity headed for all of us. It's just a, a you know a question of where you spend it. Yeah. Faith by faith, and grace in Jesus Christ. You know, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, who is to believe. Yeah. So thank you for cultivating that kind of community with some of the other folks that you introduced me to, and thanks again for giving me this opportunity. I mean, I just enjoyed it, and um, I'm chilled, you know, in a good way that you know Dave was here. So thanks a lot for doing that, Michael. That was great.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.